All right, shalom, and welcome everybody to the Unexpected Cosmology. Class is in session. What a day. <laughs> Good night, everybody. I'm exhausted. Um, I'm, actually, I'm actually losing my voice right now. I just, just like 30 minutes ago, I was reading my son's The Cat in the Hat Comes Back, a, tr a true classic, and I'm like, oh man, I, I can barely get through this. So hopefully I'll survive tonight. It was, uh, I was very encouraged last week as I read my paper on the only begotten daughter of Elohim. I seriously thought I would be crucified. I haven't been yet. Um, that still may happen. Uh, but the, the feedback has been really good overall from you guys and out there, what has gone out in YouTube land and other places. So we're going to be continuing that as promised last week. Uh, we're going to be reading the source material. Uh, Joseph and Asenath, or Yosef and Asenath. And I think you guys are going to really love this. I think it's going to be a very, um, um, a very good book. I want to, I want to just stress to everybody listening in that what I am not doing here is I, I am not starting the first church of the only begotten daughter. This is not a some sort of doctrinal thing we're doing. Is just we're investigating. Uh, scripture, literature, seeing what it has to say. And I have some new things uh, from last week. Before we dive into Joseph and Asenath, I have some new things that uh, has come up this last week and I want to share with you guys. So with that, let's go ahead and pray. Our Father in heaven, Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, uh, we know that time is short. Uh, we're grateful for every day that you give us to uh, to communicate with each other and to and to spread the truth of your word to others. We, we do feel the weight of the hour um, all over this motionless plane. Your set apart cry out. Uh, we pray that their prayers would reach you in the highest heaven, and that you would send your son and tens of thousands of his angels and saints to end the evil uh, once and for all. Be patient with us, merciful with us, as we learn your ways and walk the ancient path. Teach us to love our fellow um, house of Israel, as well as the house of Yehuda, scattered over the plain of the earth, as they too learn what it is to love and be obedient to you. Uh, send us your Ruach, um, give us Shalom, and we pray all these things in the name of, of the Father, Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, the name of the Son, Yahusha HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen. All right, awesome. I am hearing some shofar blasts, and I think it is time with that to begin. The first thing I want to do, let's see if BibleBot is working tonight. I'm going to be dropping in Jasher chapter 45, verse 2. All right, and it works. Awesome. All right, last week we talked a lot about Dinah and, or Dina. And just a quick recap, Dina was raped by a Canaanite who was kind of like this French villain, you know, where he's like, he's got her up on the patio and he's like kissing her arms and stuff in front of her brothers and her brothers are fuming and they're like, that's it. We're circumcising this whole town and then killing them. And, uh, and from there, uh, she had a daughter. Uh, we learned what named Aseneth, who we'll be reading about tonight, uh, Joseph and Aseneth. So uh, we learned that Yosef actually 
marries his niece, his sister's daughter. And then we uh, see, I did the whole research on Job and showing how As, uh, not Asenath, uh, Dina actually marries Job. And I gave the whole timeline and showing how it worked. Well, this last week, I came across something really interesting uh, that that I did not write in the article. I, I've gotten so much more information now. I'm going to be writing a whole second part. I just have enough to do that. And we, uh, I missed this. It's really easy to miss uh, because I don't have Jasher in a Word doc. I need to get in one where I can just type in like words and stuff and have them pop up. And I was reading this this last uh, week, and it just it was pretty shocking. I've passed this by a couple of people to get their thoughts. But here we see in Jasher chapter 45, uh, if you look, uh, I guess, the halfway down, it says, And Simeon, his brother, the brother of Reuben, Simeon, his brother, took his sister Dinah for a wife. And she bare unto him uh, Memuel, Yamin, Ohad, Jachin, and Zokar, five sons. So we have an incident here where Dina, I totally miss this, Dina marries her brother. Uh, Before I address that, let me just say that I did the uh, the math on this. And once again, we see Simeon being one of the first brothers to die um, in Egypt. And it actually lines right up with right around the time that Job is going through his seven years trial. So Dina becomes a widow and Job becomes a widower. Perfect match. Um, and it also explains, uh, I had talked about how Dina was not married to anyone, apparently, for a good hundred years, uh, because perhaps she was raped and nobody would take her. But now we see her brother marrying her, and I, I was passing this by people, like, what's going on with this? Because it appears like this is a breaking of Torah right here. And you can't say that um, Simeon is just taking her on to protect her. No, they have five sons together. So. Just throw that out there, and you guys, we can discuss this later if you'd like, what's going on, if anyone has any thoughts. The other thing, and I unfortunately, I just lost my place in the book. Um, we were talking about um, penitence, and it came to my attention. Now, uh, Rob here in this group did an amazing job pulling all sorts of scripture verses on penitence. Um I'm going to let him, if he would like to later address it. If he doesn't, that's fine. I'll let him go through those are his notes. Uh, Otherwise, I will be tackling that in a future article. But here we see in the book of Adam. So the book of Adam in this group uh, about a month or two ago, we read from the Revelation of Moshe, which is essentially the book of Adam. It's, It's pretty close. I haven't compared all the notes on that. But just listen to some of the language used here from the book of Adam. This is chapter one. It says, Adam replied to Eve and told her, explain to me now what penitence you wish to repent or for how many days um, we make a promise to Elohim and we be unable to fulfill the promise which we will have made to him. Eve replied to Adam and she told him, tell me about the number of days to me then for what period of time will you consider doing penitence? Who knows, perhaps I will add more to that, for it is I who have brought these tribulations upon you. They go on and on talking, but they just keep saying penitence, penitence, penitence. And it's and we actually see a very similar scene with Adam and Eve um, being cast out of paradise and calling on penitence in the same way that um, uh, Asenath, we will see in this book, does as well in calling on penitence. So just some really interesting comparisons happening there. With that being said, we've got a lot to cover tonight. 
So welcome everybody who's just come in to the chat. Hopefully everyone, you can decide tonight whether you want to read the article or the uh, the PDF file that I have given you. Hopefully all the, 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 there's not too many, I did some editing on this because I can't stand to see the Lord and that kind of stuff. Some people will say I'm still doing it generically because I'll say Yahuwah, but it's my best attempt at this. I'm not a, a language expert. I try to do as many uh, name corrections in here as possible, but there's, there's still more to get to, but this is a start. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. This is Joseph and Asenath, chapter one. It came to pass in the first year of the seven years of plenty in the second month that Pharaoh sent out Yosef to go around the whole land of Egypt. And Yosef came in the fourth month of the first year on the 18th day of the month into the district of Heliopolis. And he was collecting all the corn of that land as the sand of the sea. Now there was in that city a man, a satrap of Pharaoh, and this man was the chief of all Pharaoh's satraps and lords. See, there's, a, there's an error right there. I apologize, guys. It says Yahuwah's, and that's actually not correct. I did this really quick today, so uh, I, I was trying to get ready for the show. <clears throat> so forgive me for that. And he was very rich and wise and generous, and he was Pharaoh's counselor. And his name was Pentephres, and he was the priest of Heliopolis. And Pentephres had a virgin daughter of about 18 years of age, tall and beautiful and graceful, more beautiful than any other virgin in the land. And she was quite unlike the daughters of the Egyptians, but in every respect like the daughters of the Hebrews. So that's really interesting right here. Well, let me just finish this. And she was as tall as Sarah, and as beautiful as Rebecca, and as fair as Rachel. And the virgin's name was Asenath. They never mention Dinah here. They never say she had the eyes of Dinah or the, the lips of Dinah or the hair or whatever. But they mention her grandmother, Rachel, her great-grandmother, Rebecca, and her great-great-grandmother. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Grandmother, Rachel. Yeah, great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother, Sarah. And they basically tell you here, like, she doesn't look like an Egyptian, guys. And this is... This is a big hint. This is about as much as this book goes into on that, which is kind of interesting. It's very, I don't know, it's very coded, but it's kind of in your face at the same time. And the fame of her beauty spread through all that land, even to its most remotest corners. And all the sons of, of the lords, so embarrassing, I'm sorry, guys. And all the sons of the lords and of the satraps and of the kings sought her hand in marriage, young men, all of them. And there was great rivalry between them because of her. And they began to fight amongst themselves because of a zenith. So um, this is, of course, if you can think in terms of a metaphor here, just think in terms of a metaphor of the only begotten daughter of Elohim. And, and you see her in that place, right? And nobody has seen her. And what would happen if they did see her, right? There's already rivalry over her. And Pharaoh's eldest son heard about her, and he begged his father to give her to him as his wife. And he said to him, Give me Asenath, the daughter of Pentephres, the priest of Heliopolis, as my wife. And his father Pharaoh said to him, Why would you want a wife of lower station than yourself? Are you not king of all the earth? No. See now, the daughter of King Joachim is betrothed to you, and she is a queen and very beautiful indeed. Take her as your wife. Chapter 2. Now Asenath despised all men and regarded them with contempt, yet no man had ever seen her. For Pentephres had a tower in his house, and it was large and very high, 
and the top story had 10 rooms in it. The first room was large and pleasant, and it was paved with purple stones, and its walls were faced with precious stones of different kinds. And the ceiling of that room was of gold, and within it were ranged the innumerable Elohim of the Egyptians in gold and silver. So there's idols covering this place. And Asenath worshipped all these, and she feared them and offered sacrifices to them. The second room contained all the finery for Asenath's adornment and treasure chest. And there was much gold in it, and silver, and garments woven with gold, and precious stones of great price and fine linens, and all her girlish ornaments were there. The third room contained all the good things of the earth, and it was Asenath's storehouse. And seven virgins had the remaining seven rooms, one each. And they used to wait on Asenath and were of the same age as she was, for they were all born on the same night as Asenath. And they were very beautiful, like the stars of heaven, and no man or boy had ever had anything to do with them. And so here we see a, a, a clear contrast and connect, or connection to the seven Ruach, which proceed from the Father. And we know that one of them is the set-apart Ruach. And Asenath's large room where she spent her time had three windows. One window looked out over the courtyard to the east, the second looked to the north, onto the street, and the third to the south. Don't ask me why there's not one looking to the west. And a golden bed stood in the room facing the east. And the bed had a coverlet of purple woven with gold, embroidered with blue and fine linen. In this bed, Asenath used to sleep alone, and no man or woman ever sat upon it except Asenath only. And there was a great court all around the house and a wall around the court, very high and built of great rectangular stones. And there were four gates to the court overlaid with iron, and 18 strong young men-at-arms used to guard each, of them, each one of them. So you've got these, these men, these dudes who are guarding it. They're guarding her, but they've never seen her. So keep that in mind. <clears throat> So they, it's almost like the angels in heaven uh, will see that the angels in heaven can kind of, you know, honor her or whatever, protect her, but they still haven't seen her. And along the wall inside the court, every kind of beautiful tree that produces fruit had been planted. And the fruit on every one of them was ripe, for it was harvest time. And on the right of the court, there was an ever-bubbling spring of water. And beneath that spring, a great cistern that received the water from the spring and out of which a river flowed through the middle of the court and watered all the trees in it. Guys, this is a description of heaven right here. Like we, we see that the, remember the tree of life and uh, it has 12 fruit in one every month. That's, that's, it's always in uh, harvest and we got a river flowing out here and it's watering everything. Just it. We kind of we can all see what this is describing here. Chapter three. And it came to pass in the fourth month on the eighteenth day of the month that Yosef came into the district of Heliopolis. Okay, here we go. And he and as he approached the city, Yosef sent twelve men in front of him to Pentephres. So number twelve. The priest of Heliopolis saying, May I be your guest today, for it is near noon and time for a midday meal. The sun's heat is overpowering, and I would enjoy some refreshment under your roof. When Pentephres heard this, he was overjoyed and said, Blessed be Yahuwah, the Elohim of Yosef. And Pentephres called his steward and said to him, Make haste and get my house into order and prepare a great feast, because Yosef, the mighty man of Elohim, is coming to us today. 
So that's kind of interesting here that just quickly here that uh, this is obviously Potiphar. We made that connection before. Um, he's got idols all through his house. He He's a priest of Egypt. He worships all these other Elohim, but here he is recognizing who Yosef's God yeah. is, praising him. Um, kind of interesting. <clears throat> and Aseneth heard that her father and mother had come back from their family estate in the country. So here we see again that her father and mother, uh, ooh, our favorite Potiphar's wife, they appear to live in a completely different house. Uh, they live in this estate in the country. I don't know if they live there full time or what, but as we'll see, they're absent for most of the story. They go off to this house in the, the state in the country. And I almost kind of feel like maybe that's where Yosef lived when he was a slave under Potiphar in this other estate house in the country, not where um, it doesn't appear where Aseneth lives. And she rejoiced and said, I will go and see my father and my mother, for they have come back from their family estate in the country. Why she lives alone from them is anybody's best guess. And Aseneth hurried and put on a fine linen robe of blue woven with gold and a golden girdle around her waist. And she put bracelets around her hands and feet. And she put on golden trousers and a necklace around her neck. And there were precious stones all about her and the names of Egyptian Elohim inscribed on them everywhere on the bracelets and on the stones, and the names of the idols were stamped on those stones. And she put a tiara on her head and bound a diadem round her temples and covered her hair with a veil. Chapter 4. And she hurried and came down by the staircase from her story at the top, and she came to her father and mother and greeted them. And it gave Pentephres and his wife great joy to see their daughter Aseneth adorned as the bride of Elohim. All right, so right there, um, we we see her. I mean, it just is the bride of Elohim, but we've already seen uh, Pentephres recognizing that the context here is the bride of Yosef's uh, Elohim, Yahuwah. So we're going to see some um, contrast here between Yosef, who we already know is a Messiah uh, individual character, a prototype. Um, a lot of comparisons, and then we're going to see um, Asenath as well be the bride. But we're going to kind of see really both at play here. They they both they play the brother sister role, and they took out all the good things they had brought from their estate in the country, and they gave them to their daughter. And Asenath rejoiced at the good things and at the fruit, the grapes and the dates, and at the doves and at the pomegranates and the figs, for they were all delightful. And Pentephi said to his daughter Asenath, My child, she said, Lo, here am I, my lord. And he said to her, Sit down, please, between us. I want to talk to you. And Asenath sat down between her father and her mother. And her father, Pentephi, took her right hand in his right hand and said to her, My child. And Asenath said, What is it, father? And uh and Pentephrys, this is a hard talk that we, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're having the, the sex talk right now. And Pentephrys said to her, see, Yosef, the mighty man of Elohim, is coming to us today, and he is ruler of all the land of Egypt, for Pharaoh has appointed him ruler of, of all our land. And he is the distributor of corn throughout the country and is to save it from the famine that has come upon it. And Yosef is a man that worships Elohim. He is discriminating and a virgin, as you are today, and a man of great wisdom and knowledge, and the spirit of, or the Ruach of Elohim is upon him, and the grace of Yahuwah is with him. So come, my child, and I will give you to him as his wife, 
You shall be his bride, and he shall be your bridegroom forever. Kind of interesting there, the, the forever. Not exactly till death do us part, right? And when Asenath heard what her father said, a great red sweat came over her, and she was furious and looked sideways at her father. And she said, Why should my lord and my father speak like this and talk as if he would hand me over like a prisoner to a man of another race, a man who was a fugitive and was sold as a slave? Is this not the shepherd's son from the land of Canaan, and he was abandoned by him? Is not this the man who had intercourse with his mistress, and his master threw him into prison where he lay in darkness? And Pharaoh brought him out of prison because he interpreted his dream? No, I will marry the eldest son of the king, for he is king of all the earth. On hearing this, Pentephrius thought it wiser to say no more to his daughter about Yosef, for she had answered him arrogantly and in anger. You almost get the impression reading this that Potiphar is a very different person um, than this Pentephrius, but maybe again maybe not it's just interesting that she knows this whole story about potiphar's wife and this idea that you know he actually slept with her and went to prison over it kind of interesting chapter five and behold one of the young men from pentephrae's uh, retinue burst in and said lo yosef is at the gates of the court and Aseneth quickly left her father and her mother and ran upstairs and went into her room and stood at the big window that looked towards the east, so as to see Yosef as he came into her father's house. Uh, here's a clear picture of, I, I guess, Egyptian uh, kind of, kind of an Egyptian icon here of the, the the rising of the sun, and um, clearly Yosef is being compared to the sun rising in the east. And Pentephrys and his wife and all his relations went out to meet Yosef. And the gates of the court that looked east were opened. And Yosef came in, sitting in Pharaoh's viceroy's chariot. And there were four horses yoked together, white as snow, with golden reins. And the chariot was covered over with gold. And Yosef was wearing a marvelous white tunic. And the robe wrapped around him was purple, made of linen woven with gold. There was a golden crown on his head. And all around the crown were twelve precious stones. So that that reminds me almost of I don't know, New Jerusalem, even uh, just the, the the twelve gates, the twelve names, uh, twelve tribes, and above the stones, twelve golden rays, and a royal scepter was in his right hand, and he held an olive branch stretched out, and there was much fruit on it. And Yosef came into the court, and the gates were shut, and strangers, whether men or women, remained outside because the gatekeepers had shut the doors. We could see all. We could see uh, Yahusha's parable at play there. And Pentephrys came and his wife and all his relatives, except their daughter, Aseneth. And they made um, obeisance to Yosef with their faces to the ground. And Yosef got down from his chariot and extended his right hand to them. Chapter 6. And Aseneth saw Yosef and she was cut to the quick. Her stomach turned over. Her knees became limp and her whole body trembled. And she was much afraid and cried out and said, Where shall I go, and where can I hide myself from him? And how will Yosef, the son of Elohim, regard me? For I have spoken evil of him. Where can I flee and hide myself? For he sees everything, and no secret is safe with him because of the great light that is in him. And now may Yosef's Elohim be uh, uh, propitious to me, because I spoke evil in ignorance. 
What can I hope for, wretch that I am? Have I not spoken, saying, Yosef is coming, the shepherd's son from the land of Canaan? And now, behold, the son has come to us from heaven in his chariot and has come into our house today. So again, clear reference there to the son. Um, and I've been digging into scripture recently that you know talks about the son being representative of Adam, right? The man, the son of man, uh, and the moon of Eve, which is kind of interesting. But just as a quick note here, and probably everyone in this room knows this, that, you know, the Egyptians would have regarded a shepherd or a shepherd's son with disdain. Um, you know, she's calling him a, a shepherd's son. Like that's, that's like calling him a redneck. You know, why is this? I don't want to marry this redneck who became a king. But I was foolish and reckless to despise him. And I spoke evil of him and did not know that Yosef is the son of Elohim. Hmm. That's interesting. For who among men will ever father such beauty, and what mother will ever bear such a light? Wretch that I am and foolish, for I spoke evil of him to my father. Now let my father give me to Yosef as a maidservant and a slave, and I will serve him forever. Chapter 7. And Yosef came into Pentephri's house and sat down on a seat, and he washed his feet, and he placed a table in front of him separately, because he would not eat with the Egyptians. For this was an abomination to him. <laughs> I just I love like that scene there, like that image of of Yosef being the man there and just being like <laughs> he brings his own table to set up. That's just awesome. And Yosef spoke to Pentephres and all his relations, saying, "Who is that woman standing in the solar by the window? Tell her to go away." This was because Yosef was afraid she too might solicit him. For, <laughs> for all the wives and daughters of the lords and satraps of all the land of Egypt used to solicit him to lie with him. And many of the wives and daughters of the Egyptians suffered much after seeing Yosef because he was so handsome. And they would send emissaries to him with gold and silver and valuable gifts. Uh, so, yeah, so like Joseph is so good looking that women are just swooning over him you know, jumping off bridges to get to him, you know, throwing their bras. And there's only one other guy in all of scripture that was this drop dead gorgeous. And that's David. And what I find interesting about these two guys, like nobody, it doesn't say Abraham was handsome that I've ever read. Uh, you know, none of these guys. And what I find interesting about this is that both Yosef and David were messianic figures, right? They were, they were prototypes of uh, Yahusha HaMashiach. And we all consider Yahusha unattractive based on Isaiah, that prophecy in Isaiah. Sometimes I wonder if it's not quite um, quite I, like we're reading it right. Because um, I, I sometimes wonder if, you know, Yahusha had a lot of women around him. And I don't want to be, be just because they, they had the hots for him. But it's interesting that you don't see that. You see that with David. You see that with Yosef. And then again, you see that with Yahushua. He had a lot of women around him. And sometimes I think he might have been really, really attractive. Um, I know that 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 goes against what a lot of people believe. And I'm just something I'm thinking through. <clears throat> and Yosef would reject him out of hand, saying, I will not sin before the Elohim of Israel. And Yosef kept his father, uh, Yaakov's face before his eyes continually. And he remembered his father's commandments. For Yaakov used to say to Yosef and his brothers, Be on guard, my children, against the strange woman, and have nothing to do with her, for she is ruin and destruction. That is why Yosef said, Tell that woman to go away. And Pentephri said to him, 
my lord. Uh, I'm learning a valuable lesson here, guys, in, in editing <laughs> these things. My apologies. My lord, the woman you have seen in the story at the top is no stranger. She is our daughter, a virgin, who detests men, and no other man has ever seen her apart from you today. And if you wish it, she shall come and speak with you, for our daughter <coughs> is your sister. Hmm. And Yosef was overjoyed because Pentefri said, she is a virgin who detests men. So he's thinking here, like, okay, she detests men. So I could kind of bring her to my company. She's not going to be like, you know, swooning over me. And Yosef answered Pentefri's and his wife and said, if she is your daughter, then let her come. For she is my sister and I will regard her as my sister from today. And Asenath's mother went up to the top story and brought Asenath down to Yosef. And Pentefri said to his daughter Asenath, Greet your brother, for he too is a virgin as you are today, and he detests all strange women just as you detest strange men. And Asenath said to Yosef, May you have joy, my lord. Blessed are you, blessed as you are of Elohim Most High. And Yosef said to her, May Elohim. Ah, I'm just getting weird stuff here. May Elohim, who has given all things life, bless you. And Pentefri said to Asenath, Come near and kiss your brother. And when she came near to kiss Yosef, Yosef stretched his right hand out and laid it against her breast and said, It is not right for a man who worships Elohim, who with his mouth blesses the living Elohim and eats the blessed bread of life and drinks the blessed cup of immortality and is anointed with the blessed unction of incorruption to kiss a strange woman who with her mouth blesses dead and dumb idols and eats of their table the bread of anguish and drinks of their lib libations the cup of treachery and is anointed with the unction of destruction a man who worships elohim will kiss his mother and his sister that is of his own tribe and kin and the wife that shares his couch who with their mouths bless the living elohim so too, it is not right for a woman who worships Elohim to kiss a strange man, because this is an abomination in Elohim's eyes. And when Asenath heard what Yosef said, she was most distressed and cried out aloud. And she fixed her gaze on Yosef, and her eyes were filled with tears. And Yosef saw her, and his heart went out to her. For Yosef was tender-hearted and compassionate and feared Yahuwah. And he lifted up his right hand above her head and said, Oh Lord, the Elohim. Oh, I guess it says, Oh Yahuwah here. Oh Yahuwah, the Elohim of my father Israel, the Most High, the Mighty One, who didst quicken all things and didst call them from darkness into light, and from error into truth, and from death into life. Do thou, O Yahuwah, thyself quicken and bless this virgin, and renew her, and renew her by thy ruach, and remound her by thy secret hand, and quicken her with thy life, and may she eat the bread of thy life. And may she drink the cup of thy blessing. She whom thou didst choose before she was begotten. And may she enter into thy rest, which thou hast prepared for thine elect. I was going to say something here. And yeah, so uh, this whole theme about strange men and women is really fascinating because, uh, you know, before before we came to the truth of Yahuwah and before we followed him in faith and faithfulness uh and were obedient to him we were we were those strange men and women that we're we're seeing here so um what we're going to see now for the rest of this is that 
we're going to see the the process of penitence in in her life and how she no longer becomes a strange woman. You know, go ahead. Yeah, on, on eleven, you just read there. It's amazing. Uh, Yosef is actually praying over her for salvation. If you if you read into that, I mean, he is he's he's asking for her to be quickened, quicken her with thy life. Very interesting. Well, and I was going to point out too that that he says, "May she eat the the bread of thy life." That's kind of interesting too. Yep. I was thinking about the 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 cup of thy blessing, and I was trying to make a connection to the Ruach. I don't know if I can, the Ruach HaKodesh, but we all know who the bread of life is. So, And Aseneth was filled with joy at Yosef's blessing, and she went up in haste to her story at the top and fell on her couch exhausted. Because, of course, you know, just the sight of Yosef just exhausts women, I guess. Because she felt not only happy, but also disturbed and very frightened. And she had been bathed in perspiration from the moment she heard Yosef speaking to her in the name of Elohim Most High. Wow, she's like just in a sweating frenzy here. And she wept bitterly and she repented of her Elohim, of her uh, gods, plural here, she used to worship. And she waited for evening to come. Um, I'm kind of interested why she waited for evening to come, if that means uh, she was unclean into the evening. I'm not sure what that's exactly a reference to why she waited uh, because she's already repented here for Elohim. So, and Yosef ate and drank, and he said to his servants, yoke the horses to the chariot. For he said, I must depart and go round the whole city and the district. And Pentephri said to Yosef, stay the night here, my Lord, and tomorrow go your way. And Yosef said, no, I must be going now for this is the day when Elohim began his works in eight days time. I will come back again and stay the night here with you. So we see eight days here, um, which is kind of interesting. And uh, I I don't know what the the significance of the number eight is there. But um, let's see, wait. So yeah, so he's got, he knows that he's got so many work days here before a Sabbath is coming up. And he's going to come back. And I almost feel like this this week that we see, or here these eight days, um, it's really seven days wedged between, and then he comes the day after, um, is almost like, I kind of see it as like the history of, of the world, almost. Like, like Yahuwah, or or I should say this, the word of Yahuwah, the son's betrothment to his people, Israel, and the finally coming in at the very end in the wedding feast of the lamb. That's kind of how I see this going down. So, yeah, absolutely. Then Pentephres and his relations went away to their estate and Aseneth was left alone with the virgins and she was listless and wept until sunset. She ate no bread and drank no water. And while all slept, she alone was awake. And I started out reading from the book of Adam, which is a very similar scene with Adam and Eve um, you know, they're they're fasting, they're not drinking, they're they're calling on penitence. And she opened the door and went down to the gate, and she found the, the portress asleep with her children. And Aseneth quickly took down the leather curtain from the door, and she filled it with ashes and carried it up to the top story and laid it on the floor. And she scurried the door and fastened it with the iron bar from the side, and she she groaned aloud and wept. 
So here we see something that's very much like uh, the Day of Atonement, like Yom Kippur, and you know, wearing the sackcloth and, the, and cover yourself in ashes. And the virgin that Asenath loved most of all the virgins heard her mistress groaning, and she roused the other virgins and came and found the door shut. And she listened to Asenath groaning and weeping and said, Why are you so sorrowful, my lady? What is it that it's troubling you? Open the door for us so that we can see you. And Asenath said to them from inside, shut in as she was, I have a violent headache and am resting on my bed, and I have no strength left to open to you now, for I am utterly exhausted. But go each of you to her room. I don't know if they really believe that. Come on. She has headache and <laughs> no strength to open the door, whatever. All right. And, and Asenath got up and opened her door quietly and went into her second room where her treasure chest and the finery of her adornment were. And she opened her wardrobe and took out a black and somber tunic. And this was her mourning tunic, which she had worn for mourning when her eldest brother died. So um, that's, the, that's the one reference, I think, in this book to her older brother who died, which is just weird. Like, who who is this guy? We, we're not told. But... Apparently, she had a brother that died and saw her, uh, knew her, and she mourned for him. And Asenath took off her royal robe and put on the black one, and she united her golden girdle and tied a rope around her waist instead. And she took her tiara off her head and the diadem and the bracelets from her hands. And she took her best robe, just as it was, and threw it out the window for the poor. And she took all her innumerable gold and silver Elohim and broke them up into little pieces and threw them out of the window for the poor and needy. And Asenath took her royal dinner, even the fatted beast and the fish and the meats and all the sacrifices of her Elohim and the wine vessels for their libations. And she threw them all out of the window as food for the dogs. So <clears throat> that, that, I mean, just, you guys can pick up on that really easy. That's kind of interesting that the the her riches, her gold, her fine clothing she gives to the poor, but because this food has been sacrificed to other Elohim, she doesn't give it to the poor. So she's already understanding, you know, clean laws and um and you know and so on and so forth. And she gives it to the the unclean animals, the dogs. And after this, she took the ashes and poured them out on the floor. And she took sackcloth and wrapped it around her waist. And she removed the uh, fillet from her hair and sprinkled herself with ashes. And she fell down upon the ashes. And she beat her breast repeatedly with her two hands and wept bitterly and groaned all night until the morning. And in the morning, Asenath got up and looked, and lo, the ashes underneath her were like mud because of her tears. And again, Asenath fell down on her face upon the ashes until sunset. And so Asenath did for seven days, and she tasted neither food nor drink. So here's where I think we've got the 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 seven the, the Enoch's ten week calendar or the the seven thousand years of of history. And it came to pass on the eighth day that Asenath looked up from the floor. Uh, so I think this would be the beginning of eternity here. And it came, okay, so starting again, chapter 11. And it came to pass on the eighth day that Asenath looked up from the floor where she was lying, for she was losing the use of her limbs as a result of her great affliction. That's the shortest chapter ever. Chapter 12. And she stretched her hands out towards the east, and her eyes looked up to heaven, and she said, O Yahuwah Elohim of the ages, that didst give to all the breath of life, that didst bring into light the things unseen, 
that's kind of interesting right there. Uh, that the, whatever came into the light, uh, you could say by this line, you could argue that the doctrine that they were beforehand, but unseen kind of just food for thought there because I've seen many other passages that say something similar that has made all things and made visible. What was invisible. So there you go. That has raised up the heaven and founded the earth upon the waters that has fixed the great stones upon the abyss of water, which shall not be submerged, but to the end, they do thy will. O Yahuwah, my Elohim, to thee will I cry, hear my supplication, and unto thee will I make confession of my sins, and unto thee will I reveal my transgressions of the law. So here we see that she's, she's of course, rehearsing the creation account and recognizing that this creator, this Elohim, Yahuwah, has a law that she has transgressed. And this is where I said that uh, this, is, this is one of the measuring sticks I use for any extra biblical literature i look for this how what are their views towards the law if the law is irrelevant or it's been done away with then i'm generally not interested in hearing more from it but here we see that uh she is repenting of transgressing the law i have sinned O yahuwah i have sinned i have transgressed thy law and acted impiously and I have spoken things evil before thee. My mouth, O Yahuwah, has been defiled by things offered to idols and by the table of the Elohim of the Egyptians. This is why Joseph sat at a different table because he wouldn't um, be defiled by, obviously, the, the food sacrifice to those idols. I have sinned, O Yahuwah, before thee. I have sinned and acted impiously, worshiping idols deaf and dumb. And I am not worthy to open my mouth unto thee, wretch that I am. I have sinned, O Yahuwah, before thee, I, the daughter of Pentephres, the priest, I, the haughty and arrogant, Asenath. To thee, O Yahuwah, I present my supplication, and unto thee will I cry. Deliver me from my persecutors, for unto thee have I fled, like a child to his father and his mother. And do thou, O Yahuwah, stretch forth thy hand over me as a father that loves his children and is tenderly affectionate, and snatch me from the hand of my enemy. For lo, the wild primeval lion pursues me, and his children are the Elohim of the Egyptians that I have abandoned and destroyed. And their father, the devil, is trying to devour me. This is, I'm going to stop here. This is like really fascinating. For those of you who were here or listened to the Testament of Job, that we read about a month ago or so, this is the same thing. Um, we, I don't know where she, you know, we saw Job do the same thing where he, he destroyed the idols, the Elohim and the temple, and then Satan comes right after him. And we don't, just, just so you guys know, I mean, we don't see Satan here necessarily um, coming after her. So Whatever is happening in this week, why she feels that she is is trying to uh, hide from the enemy in this tower and what Satan is doing, we're not really told why she feels this way. But do thou, O, o Yahuwah, deliver me from his hands and rescue me from his mouth, lest he snatch me like a wolf and tear me and cast me into the abyss of fire and into the tempest of the sea. And let not the great sea monster swallow me. Save me, O Yahuwah, deserted as I am. For my father and mother denied me. 
because I destroyed and shattered their Elohim, and I have no other hope save in thee, O Yahuwah. For thou art the father of the orphans, and the champion of the persecuted, and the help of them that are oppressed. Again, so what she's saying here is that her father and her mother denied her for destroying all the Elohim. We're not given the scene. Um, I don't know how they know that she destroyed all those Elohim, um, but she is now attributing herself to be an orphan. And this is exactly what Yahusha said that, you know, who is his mother and his father, right? His sister and his brother. It's those that do the will of the father. And um, so I, I just, I love this passage here where it says that Yahuwah is the father of the orphans. And that's, that's us, right? If we are, if we are no longer a strange man or a strange woman, uh, the strange men and the strange women have fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, but biologically speaking. But if we are no longer a strange man or a woman, then we are an orphan, and he is the father of orphans. That's just, just I love it. I love that whole passage there. It's amazing. Hey, no. Go ahead. Yeah, super interesting. I was thinking uh, the other day, um, there's a verse that says uh, that Yahuwah says not to call anyone father and that kind of ties in with that because if he if we don't call anybody father that kind of means we're orphans we don't have fathers just kind of an interesting correlation there yeah yeah what do you guys uh, before we move on we don't need to have a huge discussion on that what do you guys think about what he said i mean how do we take that in terms of our biological parents or is he just addressing rabbinical judaism at this point i don't know just something to think about we can always address that later. Let's keep I moving think on. Talking, I think he's Go talking ahead. about the idols and the other gods as their father and mother in that sense. Yahusha, right? Um, no, no. Meaning uh, uh, in this scene is where she's denying the these idols and destroying them. And okay. as for her father and mother is denying her because of the destruction of those gods. So she's walking away from, quote, that family of those gods. Right. Yeah. Obviously, you would have to if your father is the priest, right? For lo, all the Elohim of my father, Pentifres, are but for a season and uncertain. But the inhabitants of thine inheritance, O Yahuwah, are incorruptible and eternal. So, we got, yeah, all right, two seed lines here. And um, one of them, she it's, it's interesting that she said earlier that it was... Satan, who would cast her into the abyss of fire. I, that, I just found that kind of fascinating there. Look upon my orphanhood, O Yahuwah, for unto thee did I flee, O Yahuwah. Lo, I took off my royal robe, interwoven with gold, and put on a black tunic instead. Lo, I loosened my golden girdle and girt myself with a rope and sackcloth. Lo, I threw off my diadem from my head and sprinkled myself with ashes. Lo, the floor of my room once scattered with stones of different colors and of purple, and besprinkled with myrrh, is now sprinkled with my tears and scattered with ashes. Lo, Yahuwah, from the ashes and from my tears, there is as much mud inside my room as there is on a public highway. Lo, Yahuwah, my royal dinner and my fatted beast have I given to the dogs. And lo, for seven days and seven nights I have neither eaten bread nor drunk water. And my mouth is dry like a drum, and my tongue like horn, and my lips like a potsherd, and my face is shrunken, and my eyes are failing as a result of my incessant tears. 
But do thou, O Yahuwah, pardon me, for in ignorance did I sin against thee, and uttered uh, calumnies against my lord, Yosef. And I did not know, wretch that I am, that he is thy son, O Yahuwah. For they told me that Yosef was a shepherd's son from the land of Canaan, and I believed them. But I was wrong, and I despise Yosef, thine elect one. And I spoke evil to him, not knowing that he is thy son. For what man ever was so handsome, and who else is as wise and strong as Yosef? But to thee, my Yahuwah, do I entrust him. For I love him more than mine own soul. Preserve him in the wisdom of thy grace, and give me to him as a servant, so that I may wash his feet and serve him, and be his slave for all the seasons of my life. Chapter 14. And as Asenath finished her confession to Yahuwah, lo, the morning star rose in the eastern sky. And Asenath saw it and rejoiced and said, Yahuwah Elohim has indeed heard me, for this star is a messenger and herald of the light of the great day. <clears throat> so another, I, it doesn't need to be said, <laughs> another star is an angel uh, passage here. And lo, the heaven was torn open near the morning star, and an indescribable light appeared. And Asenath fell on her face upon the ashes, and there came to her a man from heaven and stood at her head, and he called to her Asenath. And she said, Who called me? For the door of my room is shut, and the tower is high. How then did anyone get into my room? And the man called her a second time and said, Asenath, Asenath. And she said, Here am I, my lord, or my Adonai. Tell me who you are. And the man said, I am the commander of Yahuwah's house and chief captain of all the hosts of the Most High. Stand up and I will speak to you. And she looked up and saw a man like Yosef in every respect, with a robe and a crown and a royal staff. I'll have to ask you guys what you think is going on here, because I I am unclear why this angel, this messenger, looks like Yosef in every respect. Uh, but his face was like lightning, and his eyes were like the light of the sun, and the hairs of his head like flames of fire, and his hands and feet like iron from the fire. It, it almost reminds me of, of Yohanan's vision of Yahusha in Revelation. And Asenath looked at him, and she fell on her face at his feet in great fear and trembling. And the man said to her, Take heart, Asenath, and do not be afraid, but stand up, and I will speak to you. And Asenath got up, and the man said to her, Take off the black tunic you are wearing and the sackcloth around your waist, and shake the ashes off your head, and wash your face with water, and put on a new robe that you have never worn before, and tie your bright girdle around your waist, and double girdle uh, of your virginity, the double girdle of your virginity. And then come back to me, and I will tell you what I have been sent to you to say. And Asenath went to the room where her treasure chests and the finery of her adornments were. And she opened her wardrobe and took out a new fine robe, and she took off her black robe and put on the new and brilliant one. And she untied the rope and the sackcloth round her waist, and she put on the brilliant double girdle of her virginity, one girdle round her waist and the other around her breast. And she sh shook the ashes off her hair, off, um, excuse me, off her head, and washed her face with pure water, and covered her head with a fine and lovely veil. Chapter 15. And she came back to the man, and when the man saw her, he said to her, Take now the veil off your head, for today you are a pure virgin, and your head is like a young man's. And she took it off her head, and the man said to her, Take heart, Asenath, for lo, 
Yahuwah has heard the words of your confession. <clears throat> That's definitely what I want to hear right there. And take heart, Asenath, your name is written in the book of life. That's something, by the way, that's something else I want to hear. And it will never be blotted out. That's even better. From today, you will be made new and refashioned and given new life. And you shall eat the bread of life and drink the cup of immortality and be anointed with the unction of incorruption. Take heart, Asenath. Lo, Yahuwah has given you to Yosef to be his bride. And he shall be your bridegroom, and you shall no more be called Asneth, but city of refuge shall be your name. For many nations shall take refuge in you, and under your wings shall many people find shelter. And within your walls, those who give their allegiance to Elohim and penitence will find security. For penitence is the Most High's daughter, and she entreats the Most High on your behalf every hour, and on behalf of all who repent. For he is the father of penitence and she the mother of virgins. And every hour she petitions him for those who repent. For she has prepared a heavenly bridal chamber for those who love her, and she will look after them forever. And penitence is herself a virgin, very beautiful and pure and chaste and gentle. And Elohim most high loves her, and all his angels do her reverence. That's what I was getting at earlier, that all the angels do her reverence. I don't think that necessarily means that the angels have seen her. It's kind of similar to uh, Asenath having all these these dudes around the perimeter that are guarding her and protecting her at the gates, making sure no one comes in, but they themselves have never seen what they're guarding. And lo, I am on my way to Yosef, and I will talk to him about you, and he will come to you today and see you and rejoice over you, and he shall be your bridegroom. So listen to me, Asenath, and put on your wedding robe, the ancient robe, the first that was stored away in your room, and deck yourself in all your finest jewelry, and adorn yourself as a bride, and be ready to meet him. For lo, he is coming to you today, and he will see you and rejoice. And when the man had finished speaking, Asenath was overjoyed. And she fell at his feet and said to him, Blessed be Yahuwah Elohim that sent you out to deliver me from darkness and bring me into light, and blessed be his name forever. Let me speak now, my Adonai. Why does that say Adonai? Whatever. <laughs> uh, let me speak now, my Adonai. If I have found favor with you, sit down a little on the bed, and I will get a table ready and food for you to eat. And I will bring you good wine of the finest flavor for you to drink, and then you shall go your way. And the man said to her, Bring me, please, a honeycomb too. And Asenath said, let me send someone, my Adonai, to my family estate in the country, and I, I will get you a honeycomb. And the man said to her, go into your inner room, and you will find a honeycomb there. Now, <laughs> I'm just assuming that at this point that this man has sat down on her bed. I don't know if you caught that. That no man has ever sat on her bed, and now she's asking him to sit down. And Asenath went into her inner room and found a honeycomb lying on the table. And the comb was as white as snow and full of honey, and its smell was like the breath of life, or the ruach of life. Um, and that's fascinating, because we could read passages in Sirach, or is it Proverbs 8, but in Sirach, where, uh, we know that Yahushua says that he is the bread of life, but the ruach HaKadosh says that she is the, uh, the, the honey. Um, so that's really fascinating there. And Asenath took the comb and brought it to him. And the man said to her, why did you say there is no honeycomb in my house? 
and lo, you have brought me this. And Asenath said, My Adonai, I had no honeycomb in my house, but it happened just as you said. Did it perchance come out of your mouth? For it smells like myrrh. And the man stretched his hand out and placed it on her head and said, You are blessed, Asenath, for the indescribable things of Elohim have been revealed to you. And blessed too are those who give their allegiance to Yahuwah Elohim in penitence, for they shall eat of this comb. So I think, again, I think that's a, I think that's a reference to the Ruach HaKadosh. You guys can decide. Um, again, the Ruach is the, the honey, that, yeah. uh, and Yahusha is the bread. The bees of the Paradise of Delight have made this honey, and the angels of Elohim eat of it, and no one who eats of it shall ever die. Hmm, who else has said that, right? Yahusha. Very fascinating. And the man stretched his right hand out and broke off a piece of the comb and ate it. And he put a piece of it into Asenath's mouth. And the man stretched his hand out and put his finger on the edge of the comb that faced eastward. And the path of his finger became like blood. And he stretched out his hand a second time and put his finger on the edge of the comb that faced northwards. And the path of his finger became like blood. And Asenath was standing on the left and watching everything the man was doing. And bees came from the cells of the comb. I don't know why that's translated cells. That's kind of interesting. And they were white as snow, and their wings were uh, iridescent, purple and blue and gold. And they had golden diadems on their heads and sharp pointed strings. And all the bees flew in circles round Asenath, from her feet right up to her head. And yet more bees, as big as queens, settled on Asenath's lips. And the man said to the bees, Go, please, to your places. And they all left Asenath and fell to the ground, every one of them, and died. And the man said, Get up now and go to your place. And they got up and went, every one of them, to the court round Asenath's tower. 17. And the man said to Asenath, Have you observed this? And she said, Yes, my Adonai, I have observed it all. And the man said, So shall be the words I have spoken to you. And the man touched the comb, and fire went up from the table and burnt up the comb. And as it burned, the comb gave out a refreshing fragrance that filled the room. And Asenath said to the man, There are, my Adonai, seven virgins with me who have been brought up with me and who wait upon me. They were born in the same night as I was and love them, and I love them. Let me call them so that you can bless them as you have blessed me. And the man said, Call them. And Asenath called them, and the man blessed them and said, Elohim, the Most High, will bless you forever. And the man said to Asenath, Take this table away. And Asenath turned to move the table, and the man vanished out of her sight. And Asenath saw what looked like a chariot of fire being taken up into heaven towards the east. That's interesting. <clears throat> and Asenath said, Be merciful, O Yahuwah, to thy maidservant because it was in ignorance that I spoke evil before thee. 18. And while this was happening, behold, a young man, one of Yosef's servants, came and said, Lo, Yosef, the mighty man of Elohim is coming to you today. And Asenath called her steward and said, Get ready a special dinner for me, because Yosef, the mighty man of Elohim, is coming to us. And Asenath went into her room and opened her wardrobe, and she took out her finest robe that shone like lightning, and she put it on. I'm assuming if it shones like lightning, it's like like almost like like scales of gold that would like you know just shine in the sunlight that's kind of what i'm imagining there 
And she tied a resplendent royal girdle around her waist, and this girdle was of precious stones. And she put golden bracelets around her hands and golden boots on her feet and a costly necklace about her neck. And she put a golden crown upon her head, and in the crown in front were the costliest of stones. And she covered her head with a veil. And she said to her maidservant, Bring me pure water from the spring. And Asenath bent down to the water in the basin on the uh, cockle shell, and her face was like the sun, and her eyes like the rising morning star. 19. And a little slave came out, came and said to Asenath, Lo, Yosef is at the gates of our court. And Asenath went down with the seven virgins to meet him. Again, I'm, I'm hearing a, a parable of Yahusha here. And when, and when Yosef saw her, he said to her, Come to me, pure virgin, for I have had good news about you from heaven, explaining everything about you. And Yosef stretched his hands out and embraced Asenath. And Asenath embraced Yosef. And they greeted each other for a long time and received new life in their ruach. 20. And Asenath said to him, Come, my Adonai. Ah, I don't know. What is up with this? Come, my Adonai. Come into my house. And she took his right hand and brought him inside her house. And Yosef sat down on her father Pentiphri's seat. And she brought water to wash his feet. And Yosef said to her, Let one of your virgins come and let her wash my feet. And this this reminds me of a whole nother scene in the Gospels uh, with Mary and Martha. And Asenath said to him, No, my Adonai, for my hands are your hands, and your feet my feet, and no one else shall wash your feet. And so she had her way and washed his feet. And Yosef took her by the right hand and kissed it, and Asenath kissed his head. And Asenath's parents came back from their country estate, and they saw Asenath sitting with Yosef and wearing a wedding robe. And they rejoiced and glorified El Elohim, and they ate and drank. And Pentephri said to Yosef, "Tomorrow I will invite Yahuwah's. Oh, I, tomorrow I will invite lords and satraps of Egypt, and I will celebrate your wedding, and you shall take Asenath as your wife." And Yosef said, first, I must tell Pharaoh about Asenath because he is my father and he will give me Asenath as my wife himself. That passage is really important there. I brought that up last week because I, in Jasher, and I think in Genesis 2, it says specifically that it was Pharaoh who gave uh, Yosef Asenath as a wife. So here we see Asenath's parents saying, hey, we'll give you her as a wife. And he's like, no, 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 no. You guys can't give me her as a wife. It has to be Pharaoh that does it. He's my father. And Yosef stayed that day with Pentephres, and he did not sleep with Asenath, for he said, It is not right for a man who worships Elohim to have intercourse with his wife before their marriage. And Yosef got up early in the morning, and he sent away to Pharaoh and told him about Asenath. And Pharaoh sent and called Pentephres and Asenath, and Pharaoh was astonished at her beauty and said, Yahuwah will bless you. Even the Elohim of Yosef, who has chosen you to be his bride, for he is the firstborn son of Elohim. Hmm. And he will be called daughter of the Most High, and Yosef shall be your bridegroom forever. And Pharaoh, so many forevers in here. Like, I, I'm trying to think in other places in the Bible when people get married, that'd be like, you know, um, Isaac and uh, Rebecca were married forever. You know, it, it just doesn't employ that language. And Pharaoh took golden crowns and put them on their heads and said, Elohim Most High will bless you and prosper your family forever. And Pharaoh turned them towards each other and they kissed each other. 
And wow, so Pharaoh's uh, initiating this here. He actually, he's like, you, you can kiss the bride now. And Pharaoh celebrated their wedding with a banquet and much merrymaking for seven days. And he invited all the chief men in the land of Egypt. So if we're paying attention here, we had seven days. Uh, and then there was like a day in between an eighth day. Uh, and I think this is the next day. So now we have another seven days. And he issued a proclamation saying, any man who does any work during the seven days of Yosef and Asinus' wedding shall die. So here we have like a seven days of Sabbath rest. Just consider. And when the wedding was over and the banquet ended, Yosef had intercourse with Asenath. Well, they don't hide that, do they? They just put that out there. And Asenath conceived by Yosef and bore Manasseh and his brother Ephraim in Yosef's house. So now we're going to have a big time jump here. Chapter 22. And I'll pause here. For those of you who have read Jasher, um, you're going to. I think you're going to really like this part because all of a sudden now we go into this completely almost different narrative and it, it feels like Jasher, the missing years. And you'll, you'll see what I mean if you've read it because the patriarchs are about to come into this. And after this, the seven years of plenty came to an end and the seven years of famine began. And when Yaakov heard about his son, Yosef, he came into Egypt with his family in the second month on the 21st day of the month. And he settled in the land of Goshen. And Asenath said to Yosef, I will go and see your father because your father Israel is my father. And Yosef said to her, let us go together. And Yosef and Asenath came into the land of Goshen and Yosef's brothers met them and made uh, obeisance to them upon the ground. And they came to Yaakov, and he blessed them and kissed them. And Asenath hung upon his, uh, his father Yaakov's neck and kissed him. And after this, they ate and drank. And Yosef and Asenath went to their house, and Simeon and Levi escorted them to protect them. Now, keep in mind, we had stated here, remember, who was it that uh, circumcised the town and then went in and offed everybody? It was Simeon and Levi uh, over the, the rape of Dinah. And then apparently, according to Jasher, Simeon marries Dinah. So now we see Simeon here giving special protection over Asenath. That's, in my opinion, another connection to the, to the Dinah heritage. So they escorted them to protect them. Levi was on Asenath's right hand and Simeon on the left. And Asenath took Levi's hand because she loved him as a man who was a prophet and a worshiper of Elohim and a man who feared Yahuwah. And he used to see letters written in the heavens, and he would read them and interpret them to Asenath privately. And Levi saw the place of her rest in the highest heaven. And as Yosef and Asenath were passing by, Pharaoh's eldest son saw them from the wall. And when he saw Asenath, he was driven to distraction by her because she was so beautiful. And, and here we go. And Pharaoh's son sent messengers and summoned Simeon and Levi to him, and they came to him and stood before him. And Pharaoh's son said to him, I have heard that you are better soldiers than any other others there on the earth, and that with your own right hands you destroyed the city of Shechem, and with your own two swords you cut to pieces 30,000 fighting men. I need your help. So I think that 30,000 fighting men, I did not look to see if that is referenced in Jasher. Um, I... I I think it is, but I'm not certain. So if anybody knows, feel free to let me know. I need your help. Let us get together without delay, and I will give you gold and silver in abundance, and men servants and maidservants, and houses and great estates. Make a co 
compact with me and show kindness to me, for I was greatly wronged by your brother Yosef, because he married Asenath, although she was originally pledged to me. And now come with me, and I will take up arms against Yosef and kill him with my sword, and I will marry Asenath, and you shall be my brothers and my friends forever. But if you will not listen to me, I will kill you with my sword. And as he said this, he bared his sword and showed it to them. Now Simeon was a brave but impetuous man, and he drew his sword from its scabbard and made a rush at Pharaoh's son, as if to strike him. And Levi was aware of what Simeon was about to do, for Levi was a prophet, and foresaw everything that was to happen. And Levi trod hard on uh, Simeon's right foot as a sign to him to curb his wrath. And Levi said to him, Why so angry with him? For we are the children of a man who worships Elohim, and it is not right for a man who worships Elohim to repay his neighbor, neighbor evil for evil. And Levi said to his brother, Pharaoh's son, respectfully and in good humor, My Adonai, why do you speak to us like this? For we are men who worship Elohim, and our father is the servant of Elohim Most High, and our brother Yosef is loved by Elohim. How could we do anything so wicked in Elohim's eyes? And now listen to us, and be careful you never repeat what you have just said about our brother Yosef. If, however, you persist in this wicked plan, see, our swords are drawn against you. And they drew their swords from the scabbards and said, Do you see these swords? It was with them that Yahuwah Elohim avenged the outrage on the sons of Israel, which the men of Shechem committed in the affairs of our sister Dinah, whom Shechem, uh, Hemor's son, defiled. So <laughs> these are the same swords that they just killed they killed all those dudes with. And Pharaoh's son saw their drawn swords, and he was afraid and trembled, and fell on his face to the ground at their feet. And Levi stretched his hand out and lifted him up, saying, Do not be afraid, only be careful you say nothing against our brother. And they went out from him, uh, leaving him trembling and afraid. Twenty-four. And Pharaoh's son was in much affliction and torment because of a zenith, and he was greatly distressed. And so we're, if you guys haven't caught on, we're seeing here why exactly Asenath was hidden. Because if she was revealed, then the kings of the earth would go to war for her. And his servants whispered in his ear, Lo, the son of Bilhah and Zilpah, the maidservants of Leah and Rachel, Yaakov's wives, hate Yosef and Asenath and are jealous of them, and they will do what they want. And Pharaoh's son sent messengers and summoned them. And they came to him by night. And Pharaoh's son said to them, I have heard you are good soldiers. And Gad and Dan, the elder brothers, said to Pharaoh's son, Let our Adonai tell his servants what it is he wants, and he will do it. And Pharaoh's son was overjoyed, and he said to his servants, Go away and leave us alone, for I have something to say to these men privately. And all the servants went out, and Pharaoh's son told them lies, saying, I offer you a choice between prosperity and death. So choose prosperity and not death. It's kind of an interesting um, contrast with what Yahuwah says, that he offers us the same thing, right? The blessing or the curse. I know that you are good soldiers and that you will not die as women die. <laughs> That's <laughs> Okay. Uh, but act like men and take vengeance on your enemies. I heard, he continued, your brother Yosef say to my father Pharaoh, Dan and Gad are the children of maidservants and are not my brothers. And I am only waiting for my father to die to take action against them and all their children and all their progeny, so that they will not share the inheritance with us, for they are the children of maidservants. And it was they who sold me to the Ishmaelites. 
when my father is dead, I will repay them for the wrong they did me. And this this ties in perfectly with, again, Genesis and Jasher. Uh, I'm not sure if Jubilees, I'd have to check, but that's precisely what the uh, Yosef's 11 brothers were all afraid of. Like they were afraid when, when Yaakov died that he was going to do them in because they knew exactly, like they were afraid he was holding vengeance out uh, once their father was dead. And my father, Pharaoh, commended Yosef and said to him, what you have said is quite right, my son. And now take some of my soldiers and proceed against them as they did against you, and I will help you. And when the men heard what Pharaoh's son told them, they were much troubled and distressed. And they said to him, we appeal to you, our Adonai, to help us. And whatever you tell your servants to do, we will do it. And Pharaoh's son said to them, tonight I will kill my father. For my father Pharaoh is like a father to Yosef. And do you also kill Yosef, and I will marry Aseneth. And Dan and Gad said to him, We will do everything you have told us. We overheard Yosef say to Aseneth, Go tomorrow to our country estate, for it is vintage time, and he has arranged for 600 armed soldiers to go with her and 50 outrunners. And when Pharaoh's son heard this, he gave the four men 500 men each and appointed them their officers and commanders. And Dan and Gad said to him, we will go by night and lie in wait at the brook and hide in the woods on the banks. And as for you, take 50 men with you, archers on horseback, and go on ahead some distance in front. And Aseneth will come and fall into our hands, and we will cut down the men who are with her. And Aseneth will flee in her chariot and fall into your hands, and you will be able to deal with her as you wish. And afterwards, we will kill Yosef while he is fretting about Aseneth, and we will kill his children before his eyes. Ouch. And Pharaoh's son was delighted when he heard this, and he sent 2,000 soldiers after them. And they came to the brook and hid in the woods on the banks, and 500 men took up their position in front, and in between them was a highway. 25. And Pharaoh's son went to his father's room to kill him, but his father's guards would not allow him to go, in, go into him. And Pharaoh's son said to them, I want to see my father, because I am going off to gather the grapes from my newly planted vine. And the guards said to him, your father is in pain, and he has been awake all night, but he is resting now. And he said to us, Do not let anyone into me, not even my eldest son. And he went away in anger, and he took fifty mounted archers, and he went in front of them, as Dan and Gad had told him to. And Nephtali and Asher said to Dan and Gad, Why must you plot again against our father Israel and against our brother Yosef? For Elohim looks after him as if he were the apple of his eye. Did you not once sell Yosef as a slave? And today he is king of the whole earth and its savior <laughs> and gives us corn. And now if you make plots against him again, he will call upon the Elohim of Israel and he will send fire from heaven and will burn you up. And the angels of Elohim will fight against you. And their older brothers, Dan and Gad, were angry with them, saying, Are we then to die like women? Elohim forbid. And they went out to encounter Yosef and Aseneth. Uh, you got to love uh, the tribe of Dan. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Chapter 26. And Aseneth got up early in the morning and said to Yosef, I am going to our estate in the country, but I am frightened because you are not coming with me. And Yosef said to her, 
Take heart and do not be afraid, but go, for Yahuwah is with you, and he will keep you from all evil as the apple of an eye. And I will go and distribute my corn and give corn to all the men in the city, so that no one dies of famine in the land of Egypt. And Asenath departed on her journey, and Yosef to his distribution of the corn. And Asenath came to where the brook was with her 600 men. And suddenly the men that were with Pharaoh's son leaped out from their ambush and joined battle with Asenath's soldiers. And they cut them down with their swords and killed all of Asenath's outrunners. And Asenath, apparently being all that was left, fled in her chariot. And Levi, the son of Leah, was informed about all this, for he was a prophet. And he told his brothers about Asenath's danger. And they took each one of them, his sword on his thigh, and their shields on their arms, and their spears in their right hands, and they went after Asenath with what speed they could. And Asenath fled, and lo, Pharaoh's son met her, and fifty men with him, and Asenath saw him, and she was afraid and trembled. And Benjamin was sitting with her in the chariot. And Benjamin was a sturdy lad, about eighteen years old, indescribably handsome, and as strong as a young lion, and he feared Elohim. And Benjamin jumped down from the chariot, and he took a round stone from the brook and hurled it with all his might at Pharaoh's son and hit him on his left temple and wounded him severely, and he fell from his horse half dead. This scene that you know, reminds me of David and Goliath there. And Benjamin clambered up on a rock and said to the driver of Asenath's chariot, Give me 50 stones from the brook. <laughs> and he gave him 50 stones. And Benjamin hurled the stones and killed the 50 men that were with Pharaoh's son. And the stones sank into their temples of each one of them. Then the sons of Leah, Reuben, and Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, went after the men who had lain in ambush. And they fell upon them suddenly and cut down the 2,000 men, and the six of them killed them. And their brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, fled. And they said, We have been ruined through our brothers. And Pharaoh's son is dead, killed by Benjamin, and all those who have perished in his hand. Come now, let us kill Asenath and Benjamin, and let us make for the woods. And they came with their swords drawn, covered in blood. And Asenath saw them, and she said, O Yahuwah, my Elohim, that didst quicken me from death. That didst say to me, Thy soul shall live forever. Deliver me from these men. And Yahuwah Elohim heard her voice, and immediately their swords fell from their hands to the ground and were reduced to dust. This uh, story here, I think we have one chapter left. Yeah, and then we're going to finish it. We, we clearly see here why. I mean, this will make sense to you guys if you guys have read Jasher. Like, these, these patriarchs were some badass dudes. I mean, these 12 brothers were taking on tens of thousands of people. Um, and which I think is a picture of what it'll be like for us. You know, they, there's there's a saying that nothing happened to the patriarchs, or I, I, I back that up. Nothing happens to Yahuwah's uh, children that doesn't first happen to the patriarchs. And um, I, I think that these kind of scenes are going to be pictures of what it's going to be like on the last day when, you know, Yahusha comes in with 10,000s of his saints and just to, to wipe out the bad guys. Okay, where was I in chapter 26? No. Chapter 28. No. What are we on? I just lost my count here. 29. Um, right? Am I on 29? No. 28. 
28. Okay, I lost my place. I scrolled too far. Okay, 28. And the sons of Bel uh, Belha and Zilpah saw the miracle that had happened, and they were afraid and said, Yahuwah is fighting for Asenath against us. And they fell on their face to faces to the ground and made obeisance to Asenath, saying, Have mercy on us, your servants, for you are our mistress and queen, and we have done you a great wrong, and our brother Yosef. These guys have a hard time learning their lessons. They really do. And now Elohim has brought retribution on us. We pray you, therefore, have mercy on us and deliver us from our brothers' hands, for they will avenge the outrage done to you, and their swords will be against us. And Asenath said to them, Take heart and do not be afraid, for your brothers are men who worship Elohim, and do not repay evil for evil to any man. But retire to the woods until I can secure your pardon and mollify their wrath. For what you have been trying to do to them is indeed no trifling matter. Take heart, though, and do not be afraid, for Yahuwah will see justice done between us. And Dan and Gad fled to the woods. And behold, the sons of Leah came, running like deers in pursuit of them. And Asenath got down from her chariot, and she greeted them with tears. And they made obeisance to her on the ground and wept aloud, and they asked about their brothers, the, man, the maidservant's sons, intending to kill them. And Asenath said to them, Spare your brothers and do, do them no harm. For Yahuwah has shielded me and reduced the swords in their hands to dust, and they melted away like wax before the fire. Surely this is enough for us that Yahuwah is fighting for us, so spare your brothers. And Simeon said to Asenath, Why should our mistress plead for her enemies? No, we will cut them down with our swords, because they have plotted evil against our father Israel and against our brother Yosef now on two separate occasions, and they have plotted against you today. And Asenath said to them, No, brother, you must not repay evil for evil to your neighbor, for Yahuwah will avenge this outrage. And after this, Simeon bowed to Asenath, and Levi came to her, and he kissed her right hand and blessed her. Thus Asenath saved the men from their brother's wrath, so that they did not kill them. All right, this is the last chapter, chapter 29. And Pharaoh's sons lifted himself up from the ground and sat up, and he spat blood from his mouth, because his blood was running from his temple into his mouth. And Benjamin advanced upon him and took hold of his sword and drew it from its scabbard, for Benjamin had no sword of his own with him. Boom, there you go. It's David and Goliath repeated. And as he went, was about to strike Pharaoh's son, Levi rushed up and seized him by the hand and said, No, brother, you must not do this, for we are men who worship Elohim, and it is not right for a man who worships Elohim to repay evil for evil, or to trample upon a man who has already fallen, or to hurry his enemy to death. But come, let us bind up his wound, and if he lives, he will be our friend. And his father, Pharaoh, will be our friend, or our father. And Levi raised Pharaoh's son up and washed the blood off his face and bound a bandage round his wound. And he set him on his horse and took him to his father. And Levi told him everything that had happened. And Pharaoh got up from his throne and made obeisance to Levi upon the ground. And on the third day, Pharaoh's son died from the wound of Benjamin's stone. That's kind of interesting, the third day there. I didn't pick up on that before. And Pharaoh mourned for his eldest son, and he was worn out with grief. And Pharaoh died at the age of 109, and he left his crown to Yosef. And Yosef was king of Egypt for 48 years. And after this, Yosef gave the crown to Pharaoh's grandson. And Yosef was like a father to him in Egypt. The end. All right, so before we discuss this, because you guys might have a lot you want to talk about, I totally forgot when we started. Oh, we're not going to do it tonight.
because my my book giveaway guy is missing. So <laughs> I apologize. I was going to do a book giveaway, and I don't have. No, no, we we're still doing it. I got. Okay. I got the uh, winner. Okay, cool. Who's the winner? Uh, Mike. Uh, Mike. Mike. Yeah, with the D on the end Mike, of it. Mike D from Hawaii. Uh, yeah. So so what we're giving away tonight is this very book. Uh, I should have mentioned that beforehand. Testaments of the Patriarchs and Prophets. Um, and this is from Zen Garcia. <laughs> so Mike, just send me your address privately and I'll get this to you. It's a really awesome book. It has like so many good things in it. And we'll send this out to you. All right. Wonderful. So... so Let's. What do you guys think of it? Okay, let's talk about that moment you um, paused about where she keeps repeating Adonai and sat on her bed. Is this maybe one of the spirits of Yahuwah? You mean the uh, when the angel came in? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's definitely a messenger of Yahuwah, right? I mean, he's one of the angels. Right. Um, I mean, I was curious if it was actually Yahusha himself. I, uh, I, I thought the description uh, when I mentioned the seven spirits uh, from the Father, I feel like that that her the seven virgins that were born on the same day that tend to her seem to be a reference to the seven ruach that proceed from the Father. I just think that there's a connection there. This guy, I had made the observation or had asked what you guys thought about it. I, I'd have to go way back to where this is. I don't even know what chapter now. That right, it was so if it was possibly Yahusha. Well, what's interesting about it is that it said, well, okay, so the way it's describing him, it's Well, that exact, would be something, eh? Well, the way they're describing him, like with the bronze feet and the glowing face and like, you know, like molten gold and all this. That's exactly how Yohanan describes Yahushua in Revelation. So that's interesting. But the part that really got me is how this man looked exactly like Yosef in every way. So to me, that is a messianic reference. Um, it seems to it seems to me, I don't know. I mean, it, he never identifies himself by name. So we don't really know. We can only guess, but that's that's my guess. My I guess my best or my worst guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was wondering what book this was from because I was like, this is not from scripture. Uh, intercourse and <laughs> you know this. I was well, yeah. There. Well, yeah. The um, I guess I should have researched when the translation of this was done. Uh, I think it was like many of the other books at that time in the late 1800s where this translation was done. This one could have been done as late as like 1910 or something like that. I have to check. But the book it, that we're reading from is Joseph and Asenath. It is, uh, if you care about scholarly opinions about when they say these books were written, uh, they will say this was first century BC or first century CE. Um, in that time, that is a Jewish piece of work or a Yahudim. It is not Christian. Um, and that's what's really interesting about this, that it predates Christianity. It, it predates Messiah. And so according to what uh, some of the stuff I've seen, now there are maybe some scholars out there that may disagree with that, but it, it, that's the thing about scholars, right? It's all a guess. It's all a guessing game. 
But that's some of the shocking things in here that we see that are so clearly, um, like you just see stories in the Gospels, uh, things Yahushua would say, other things, you know, parables he would give, that that there's clearly connections here. Um, right. We're seeing the family resemblance. We're seeing the, um, as you were sharing before, we're seeing, I don't want to say patent, we're seeing the repeated story or we're seeing the same, um, yeah, things being played out again with um, people. Hey, Noel. I know you guys are already down in like chapter 16, but in chapter 12, I had a question. Okay, I'm scrolling to chapter 12. Go for it. Oh, that was the the, <laughs> the chapter where she prayed. Uh, that was a good chapter. Right, um, where it says like a child to his father and his mother. You kind of paused there. Were you thinking something? I was thinking something. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I'm always looking for references to uh, the Ruach HaKodesh, obviously. And I have pointed out that in Sirach, the Ruach refers to herself as the mother, uh, the mother of, we see that the Ruach is the mother of Israel um, and only Israel. And so if you're, you know, and I don't know if you were there for the, the past weeks and I don't know if I want, you know, should be repetitive week after week after week, but um, we see that, that, the, the Ruach HaKadosh and oh, I did talk about this a little bit last week, but I'll just repeat this because it, it, it deserves repeating. We see that the Ruach HaKadosh and this uh, only begotten daughter that they talk about here uh, in chapter, was it 15, 16, the whereabouts, that they're kind of opposite of each other because the the Ruach HaKadosh is, is anticipating being the mother of all these souls. Like we see in the, the Genesis one account where the Ruach is going over the waters, hovering over the face of the earth. This is on the day that we read that all the souls are, are created before the throne of the father. And so the Ruach is fermenting the earth, uh, the womb of the earth and getting ready for all these souls to be born. On the flip of that, we see penitence uh, who is described here as the daughter uh, anticipating all the, the all i guess the groom right all the, the 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 ruachs that will come to the the wedding feast and this is where we see the connection between the two of them that that the ruach the ruach hakodesh is only uh only inhabiting israel and the children of israel and uh and those who um you know are obedient to the law and so I guess that's why I paused there because I thought that was just the father and the mother, right? The, the, the family relationship. We got, we got a dead brother. We got a, um, she's orphaned. She's, you know, got a father, mother. Yeah. So. I My other thought, question. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you, you guys talk all night. I, I already talked for an hour and a half. So, but you, you, <laughs> okay. you take 30 minutes to ask this question. I'm fine with that. <laughs> my other question you kind of um hinted at and maybe it is from Sirach. i've not read that yet um but the rock is the honey you said and um 
Yahushua's the bread. Where is the... Rob, I need a phone call here. Is is uh, the honey Sirach or is it Proverbs 8? I'm phoning this in. <laughs> I, I would have to check that myself. Um, I, I'll actually be reading that next week over again to prepare for, you know, our presentation. So, right. So I'll be, I'll be, yeah, I'm going to be digging deeper into it. So this is where, because this is live and I'm not the Bible answer guy, uh, <clears throat> I mess this stuff up all the time. I think last week I talked about the fourth commandment, uh, which really should be the third commandment, uh, which is Sabbath. I miss this, you know, these numbers up all the time. That's but, right. I can be patient. But, but yes, uh, I believe it is in Sirach. Okay. The the Ruach HaKadosh refers to herself as the honey of life, uh, that everyone is to eat her honey. And she describes herself in this in all feminine terms. Like, you know, she likes flowers and fragrances and honey and all this kind of stuff. And and so, yeah, so we see Yahusha is the bread of life. The Ruach HaKadosh is the honey of life. And so there is clearly here, the presence of the Ruach in this scene and um, with the, the honeycomb. As a beekeeper, my interest was piqued. <laughs> Somebody else jump in, take it away. Um, I've been hey, talking. Has there been long. any, has there been any other, anybody in the room? Um, second witness to penitence. Yes, there there has, um, and that's something that I will be addressing, I think, in a whole second paper, because there's enough material for it. I started out, I'm not sure what time you popped in tonight, I started out reading from the book of Adam, not to be confused with the first book of Adam and Eve, or the Testament of Adam, or the Revelation of Moshe, but the book of Adam, chapter 5, and there's a few other passages in there, you see Adam and Eve talking about penitence over and over and over again and it's a it's very it plays out very similarly to Asenath's uh penitence as they're recognizing their sin their transgression and they want to get into paradise and rob in this group has done an incredible job he i, I mean i'm going to give him credit for it um want him to share it if he wants to i could go over rob what do you think should i go over some of them now or um I want to respect your your uh, research on this, but uh, no, no, I uh, I pulled up the research and gave it over to you. Feel free to speak about it. Uh, I, you got it all. Okay, so there's a he, he gave me several slides here with a lot of passages. However, I wanted to was it page five and six with the nouns? I think so. Yes. So. What he did was, is he looked at all the a lot of different instances in Scripture where we see repentance or penitence. We see it used as verbs, but inter interestingly enough, we see it used in nouns. Um, so let's look at some of these. We have Luke chapter five verse thirty-two, which says, "I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to penitence." To repentance. Hmm. So here sinners are being called to repentance. It's kind of like a double play on words. You could see it that way. Because that's according to this book, Yosef and uh Asenath, that's the goal to get people to repent and go to penitence. Here we see um 
Let's see. What does this say? Romans 2.4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and patience, not knowing that the goodness of Elohim leads you to repentance? Hebrews chapter 6. Let's see what this says. For concerning those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Ruach HaKodesh and tasted the good word of Elohim and the powers of the age to come and then fell away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify the son of Elohim for themselves again and put him to open shame. I actually quote this passage a whole lot about this idea that after the divorce, um, now that we are invited back in um, as a bride again, if we crucify the Messiah again, uh, we we lose our chance at repentance. Hmm. So it's kind of again, you could see that as a double play because people can, I don't know, try to repent, but they're not getting to repentance. Here we see Second Peter three nine. Yahuwah is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with us not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here we see, let's see what this says. Prayer of Manasseh 1.8. You, O Yahuwah, according to your great goodness, have promised repentance and forgiveness to those who have sinned against you, and your infinite mercies have appointed repentance to sinners. That's what penitence is, right? She's appointed for the repentance of sinners, that they may be saved. So we see that two at play here, sister, brother, uh, repentance, salvation. You therefore, O Yahuwah, that are the Elohim of the just, have not appointed repentance to the just, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but have not sinned, which have not sinned against you, but have appointed repentance to me that am a sinner. Okay, let's see what else we got here. We got a few more verses I'll go over. He has a lot here, but let's see. Mar uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore produce fruits worthy of repentance. Uh, and uh, what is the production of fruit is th through the Ruach HaKodesh. Luke 3.8, therefore produce fruit again. So therefore produce fruit worthy of repentance. And don't begin to say among ourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that Elohim is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Uh, Acts chapter 5. Elohim exalted him with his right hand to be a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and remission of sins. Sirach chapter 44. Enoch pleased Yahuwah and was translated, being an example of repentance to all generations. Um, oh, here's a good one. Um, a lot of these are really good, but I think this will be the last one. Hosea chapter 13. I guess I'll read the whole thing. It's kind of a big paragraph, but it's worth it. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. Where now is your king that he may save you in all your cities and your judges of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I have given you a king in my anger, and I have taken him away in my wrath. The iniquity of, Elohim, of Ephraim, uh, the, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is laid up in store. The sorrows of a child, and this is, this is of course, Hosea is all about the divorce and remarriage again through the blessing through Ephraim. The sorrows of a childbirth shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for at the time of birth he should not delay at the mouth of the womb. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. I will redeem them from death. O death, where are thy plagues? O Sheol, where is thy destruction? Repentance shall be hidden from my eyes. So.
there's the last one there. But there's quite a few. Uh, he has pages and notes. Um, those should be. Uh, anyways, you see an interesting play there. I really like the idea of uh, bringing bringing someone to. Uh, how was it phrased? Let me look at this again. That yeah, we're uh, that sinners brought to repentance. That's this. I love that play of words. So that's some of the stuff we've come up with. Or I should say that that is what Rob came up with and shared with me. So where does yeah, we this... also have? Uh... Yeah, go on. Yeah, Mike. Well, I was not just the significance of this. What is the? Um... Hmm, how do we say this? Um, what more is being revealed here? One of the things is that, that comes to me is once again how personal this is. Yeah, and and we see in in reading this how much repentance uh, Asenath uh, or Asenath was doing during those seven days, and and the sincerity of it, and all the things that she she did with the destroying the gods uh, and the sorrow, etc. And I mean, we read in scriptures that you know all of heaven rejoices for the sinner who repents. So just the act of repentance, sincere, sorrowful repentance is, I think, is our greatest gift, so to speak, um, that, that we can employ. But it has to be true and it has to be from the heart. As you see, I mean, the weeping uh, into the ashes became mud. It was, it was serious. So I think if we all, mm. everyone, is able to do so, you know, and take this this serious, this life seriously, and what and how we're living, and any and all sin and evil that we do, on purpose or not, uh, we we got to be sincere about that repentance, for we want to be his his child, and not be uh, have to face judgment, but repent now for the, for his grace. Well, well, yeah, it will be a little bit easier on your knees if you do it now. Um, to put it um, politely. <laughs> um, the other thing is, but it's reminding me, and it's something you brought to, to the front, is, again, there's a big family in heaven rooting for all of us. There is God's um, son and daughter, the father, our father's son and daughter, um, salvation and penitence right right here with us and so what, what i'm getting at is what's this reminding of us is that this family of heaven this family of yahuwah is not far away is not some um story in the past or some you see what i'm getting at it's 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 really right here is what um we're being reminding of it's it's alive it's where we're um, in it. Yeah, please, somebody. Well, yeah, I, as as I read scriptures and 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 see what I see is that it is a family. It it literally is a family, and we are. And so many times it says we are adopted into it. So you can't you cannot not see this uh, family unit and just getting to know who and how it how it functions and so you know even bringing up this uh 
daughter of Elohim, you know, can be uh, heretical. Um, but it's, you know, it, we're not here, uh, at least I'm not here um, stating that it is 100% true. Uh, obviously, we have, uh, we read what we read, but it, it's, it's, it's something to, to explore. And to me, at least, it doesn't show anything against Torah and anything against scripture of this per of this person uh, in this role. It it actually complements and makes it makes makes sense. So that's 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 my view. And um, this is one of those things where you know how I talk a lot about the millennial kingdom and the mud flood. It maybe I'm just a little slow, but it occurred to me some weeks back, I was sitting here thinking like <laughs> it, the, the whole millennial kingdom mud flood thing only works. If you're a flat earthist, I was like, I, I didn't even think about that before. Like the precursor to this is that you, you have to understand that the earth is flat because if you believe we're on a spinning globe, it doesn't work if you think about it. Like you can't argue with people to say no, no. Like Yahushua could still be here on this earth, and it's like, oh, it's like, oh yeah, sure, right? Like the North Pole, yeah, sure. Uh, you guys get where I'm going with this. Like there's there's these precursors, uh, these things that we have to come to a conclusion before we can go further. Like you can't venture on if you have a certain yes, and so yes, so it's it, almost this discernment. He gives us this discernment to see this, and you're you're laying it out correctly, Noah. Well, this is being revealed, and then the next. Well, one of the reasons, I mean, you talk about heretical, Rob, is that one of the things here is that I, I, I've, I kind of speak, I don't know, presumptuously, I, and I have to understand that a lot of the people listening to this on YouTube land and other places may hold to the the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, when I think of the doctrine of the Trinity, people may use it in different ways, but traditionally that that uh, the Godhead uh, is three persons, one God, uh, all coexistence, I guess, equal in power, ever present. And if you, you know, that's obviously the, the standard for the, the Christian church. It's the umbrella. If you step out of that, you are now outside of the doctrine of the Christian church. And it's one of those things that if you really get hung, like you, if you cling on to that, you're going to miss so much. Like you can't accept other things. You can't, exactly. you, this whole talk about the feminine Ruach, you can't even accept that. That is, that is heretical. That is outside your realm of possibilities. I don't, it doesn't matter what scripture says. It can't be true because the, the Trinity, it's like these three dudes that are up in heaven that are one God. and um, and so if you are able, so the precursor to this is that understanding that, that Yahusha is literally the son, the only begotten son that he was at one point in history, begotten. That's not an honorary title, guys. It's not metaphor. It's not a Hallmark card. It is, he was begotten son of the father and that the Ruach literally preceded, came out from the father. and so. When you when you understand that it is literally a a a family unit up there, father, uh, father, mother, son, you can look at this and you can go, okay, I can, I can, I I can get this this daughter of Elohim now. Like that's that's not a big deal at all because if if it's 
if we're supposed to model on earth as it is in heaven, or as you know, they would say in the occult, as above, so below, um, then we can understand the idea of a of a man and woman getting together and having a son and having a daughter. It's not a big deal. It's it 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 makes sense. Um, like I would ask a question: Why wouldn't Yahuwah want a daughter? Um, I, I I don't know why he wouldn't. I'm not again. I'm not saying he does have a daughter. I'm just saying I can't see any reason why he wouldn't, um, or find any problem with that. And what's interesting is that we talk about the importance of repentance for all of us. That that is it's and, and when we talk about it also remember, uh, if I'm not um, mistaken. It's once again, who brings us to repentance? The Father, His Spirit. It's not out of our strength. It's His. Yeah, and we and we see so many scriptures talking about each function of the family of Yah, where you know the fear of Yah is the beginning of wisdom, and like you said, who brings you to repentance? And it, it, when you when you talk about uh, Yahusha, um, Yah salvation, and all these different functions within the family of what they're doing and how it affects us and how we are to live through that, so it, it, it's just amazing. I did. And Torah uh, brings us to repentance, right? No, I mean, even back with the Sinith, she knew, like you said, not to feed. Yeah, that food to the to the people, but to the dogs. So there was that aspect yeah. of Torah there with her, right? Well, what I would stress with Torah is that. So, I grew up, you know, obviously in the Christian church. I was a pastor's kid, grew up in a parsonage, and I always had a desire to repent. Uh, I used to pray these prayers starting when I was a teenager. I used to pray that. Yah would forgive me of the sins that I didn't even comprehend, and that He would show me what those sins were. Uh, and He has honored that those prayers, and He has shown me, you know, uh, the standard. I think the problem is, is that yeah, you can. Re I think you can have a repentant, a penitent heart without Torah. Now, listen to me very carefully here. What I'm saying in the Christian Church, it, it's it, it's morally ambiguous because they don't really have a they don't really have a standard. They just, they, they, they believe in morality. They believe there's good and evil and there's sin, but they can't really always explain what it is. They can go by the 10 commandments, never mind the fact they don't keep the third, but, uh, or have, I should say, have no desire to. Um, but they, they have this, they have this understanding of good and evil, but they, I say morally ambiguous because they have to go by what each culture defines what is right and wrong. Ultimately, what, what, what is great about Torah is that it tells us what this, what we should be repenting of. And as you brought up, she fed the food to the dogs and not to people because she understood. Uh, I don't know how she understood, but somehow she understood that that was unclean and that man, men shouldn't eat that. And so she was repenting of that. She had, she had the standard, which was Torah. So, so yeah, ultimately, um, uh, but Torah could bring someone to repentance, but I'm, what I'm, I'm just trying to stress that I do believe people can come to repentance without knowing, uh, all the laws. Does that make sense? Um, totally. Yeah. They're still transgressing. Whether they know it or not, they're still transgressing the laws. But 
our family doesn't know all the laws. I mean, but the, this is so new to us. So I, I can totally see that. Anyways, yeah. even with that, you're still going to repent because of our nature. And I wanted to stress also, we had uh, that woman on last week. I don't think she's on this week who had just came to Torah like, I don't know, within a few weeks ago. And it was all new to her. And I was trying to just let her know that, uh, yeah, like for those of you who are new into this, um, it can really be overwhelming. And it seems very anthropological, this idea of Torah. It's like, you know, it's it's this Jewish thing, right? And um and they have all these feasts and what are we supposed to do and all these dates and all these kind of things. And it's one of those things, literally, like if you can come to the father each Sabbath and rest in Yahusha and start reading, like he starts revealing this stuff little by little and you come more and more into this. And um, I just encourage everyone not to feel like, you know, it looks like, you know, Asenath had it all together in the first week and she understood all this stuff. Uh, but don't, you know, don't let that um, dissuade you or discourage you. And um, if we have a heart to repent and, and desire, I mean, w- one of the things in Torah is, uh, one of the things in Leviticus is, uh, I think, was it, well, I don't need to go through all that, but I think a third of the the sin offerings, if I recall, was for the unknown sin. Like people would have commit sins and not know it and they would have offerings for that and so we just recognize that we have sins that we don't know about and that's something we should take in prayer to the father and just say i you know just forgive me for my every sin and the things i don't even realize i'm doing and yeah and show them to me in your word and in time he will honor that and he will show us and we can turn from those and not continue doing them it's it's Satan that wants us uh, to keep us unclean, and it's the Father that wants us to be clean. So, uh, I was searching for the scriptures in Sirach that spoke a little bit about honey, and um, the only thing I could find is Sirach chapter thirty nine. Verse 26, it says, the basic necessities for the whole use of man's life are water, fire, iron, and salt, flour of wheat, honey, milk, and the juice of grapes and oil and garments. All these are for good to the righteous. So to the sinners. Go ahead and finish. Go ahead and finish. That's not the passage, but go ahead and finish. Uh, so to the sinners are turned to evil. These are the spirits that are created for punishment. Okay. So I, I think it's, I think what we need is we need to have a week devoted to talk about the Ruach HaKodesh. And, uh, I know that Rob and Michael in this group are actively working on that and they're going to give a presentation on it. Uh, one of these weeks. So I'm waiting on them to do that. But that would be really cool to have under our belts and have that discussion and go through all that. So. Yeah, we're thinking not, uh, September 16. Let's do it. If that's available. It, oh, it's available. 
I don't even have next. I don't even have next week planned. So yeah, it might it might take us two hours. Um, we'll go through a bunch of scriptures and and topic points to you know for for all kinds of aspects. It'll it'll be a lot to consume and to consider. So it'll be great great stuff. I mean, uh, and here's the one thing is you upon listening, you may not agree with some of it, but there's going to be a lot of it that's going to just be like okay, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna be great. All right, so you heard it here from Rob in two weeks from now, uh, September 16th, right right to celebrate the 20th anniversary of September 11th. I can't believe it's been 20 years already. No, we're not going to be celebrating it, guys, but I just can't believe that we are at 20 years already. Where has the time gone? But in two weeks from now, Rob and Michael will give their presentation, and we'll, that will be a date. Please come back for that. I can't wait to just sit back and let someone else do the talking for once and and listen to them. On that note, we can we can continue with the after party, and you guys can talk about whatever you want. But let's go ahead. It is eleven o'clock. This is a good time to 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 close the initial discussion on Joseph and Asenath. So let us close in prayer. Would anyone like to close in prayer? Anybody? Okay, I'll do it. Our dearest Father in heaven, Yahuwah the Most High Elohim, uh, thank you for this time that you gave us uh, this week to come together as a community and to read scripture and uh, understand it. We pray that your Ruach would, would guide us in understanding, and we, um, we pray that we would, we would fear you um, in all things, uh, fear you as the creator, the judge, the the bringer of life and and uh, the sustainer of life. And we know that every breath within us is a gift from you. And uh, we just pray that we wouldn't take any of that for granted, that we would love each other. And um, amen. So, all right, guys. Uh, shalom, everybody. And if anybody needs to leave, I will look forward to seeing you guys next week. I'm always amazed that people just want to show up and talk. So, you guys can take it away. I know somebody wants to say talk about something. I know. No, I had a question. <laughs> uh, Ask. I'm not the Bible. I'm not the Bible answer guy. No, well, maybe I'll Rob. Try, I'll try. Maybe I'll try my, yeah, Rob or me. I will try. I'll try my best. Um, early, uh, the first line of chapter 15. It says, um, "You are a pure virgin, and your head is like a young man's." What what is that referencing? Well, I don't... In, in my opinion, is um, when you know how it talks about when men pray, they have their head uncovered. Uh, I think it has something to do with that. That if if she's a pure virgin, that 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 she does not have to have a veil over her. In in that sense, like a a married woman would have to, because the married woman, uh, I think, has a her husband as her covering, and I think it has to do with something to that effect. Is what I am recalling. That's what I. That's what I was wondering. Um, so would that be another confirmation of of head covering, in y'all's opinion? Ooh. <clears throat> Maybe. Okay. Definitely culturally speaking, for sure. Yeah, yeah, culturally, for sure. 
Well, well, yeah, I did want to say this, Noel, is that when reading this, there's so many analogies in almost every chapter. Um, you see so many comparisons with uh, Yosef and Yeshua. Uh, you got, I mean, just, I mean, as you're reading this, I'm just thinking of all these different comparisons through all these chapters. So I encourage everybody to uh, read through it and see what more you can glean out of this. I, I just find it so uh, so amazing uh, in it. Even we were talking about the 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 honeycomb being as white as white as snow, full of honey, smells like the breath of life. I mean, it talks about his breath. Um, it talks about when they burned it, the fragrance. Uh, it talked about the uh, what was it? The uh, what was it? Out of the mouth. But smell like myrrh. I mean, all the all these all these points that are tying in other scriptures. I just I just really enjoyed it. Can I interject there? When you said the honeycomb white as snow, it made me think of something. Um, and it might be irrelevant, but um, when you have honeycomb, um, new honeycomb is very white, mm-hmm. but it quickly begins to age and it does get darker. So in my box out there in the bees, you can definitely tell a distinct difference. Um, I even have new honeycombs sitting on my desk that I pulled for the kids to look at. And even just sitting on my desk, it begins to age and darken really quickly. Um, so that there is a distinction there between the new and the old and it, and it goes from a very white, white and, and to a black almost it's extremely there's an extreme difference there between something that's new and virgin. How um, long does it take it to turn black? Um, I think that this, when we bought our box, the wax was very dark, but it was a new set in April. Um, so I'm thinking like it's 18 months old now and it's, it's pretty dark. I'll, I'll mm. try to take a picture of it. It's really hot out there right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so now, I, so now I have context to why you have a, a bee uh, next to your name. I just thought you might really like bees, but now I know you you raise bees. I'm very new at raising bees. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I would say it's interesting. interesting that it's it's white as snow, meaning it's fresh, it's new, it's it's pure. You know, it's 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 just so new. And then it talked about the bees were even white as snow. So interesting. It gets dirty is what happens. Um, you know, they die in there. They defecate in there. Um, mm. And so the old wax is is old and dirty. It's it's dirty. But the new stuff, it, I really am. I'm going to get a picture because it's it's a stark difference. Um, it's It's really neat. It kind of reminds me One of... Of manna from heaven. Mm. I I don't know. I'm I could be wrong, but that's what I thought of when you were talking about that. Uh, we have here Sirach chapter twenty four. This is the chapter where we um, read about the honey. Uh, did you find the Did you find the actual verse that talks about the honey? I see twenty four eighteen here. Uh, I'll go ahead and read this, and this will be a, I guess, preview of what's coming in 
No, no. What I what I posted above is uh, out of Joseph and Aseneth I wanted to speak to. Um, I did not find Honey and Sirach that referenced what we're talking about. Okay. I okay. did. I right. did. That's what why I was going to comment. Yeah. Okay. You, <laughs> yeah. You. So where 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 is it that you found it? I found it in twenty four verse twenty. Um. Yeah. For my remembrance is sweeter than honey, and my inheritance than the honeycomb. Those who eat of me shall hunger and hunger for more, and those who drink of me shall thirst for more. That's huh. what it says. And that's the Ruach speaking there. We did see Asenath, um or Joseph talking about the, the cup of, uh, I think, immortality was called, which was kind of interesting. Um, this is the same chapter here where you had placed, okay, so we see, yeah, 24-20, but 24-18, two verses before that. Mm -hmm. Now, guys, this is the Ruach HaKadosh speaking here. It says, I am the mother of fair love and fear and knowledge and holy hope. I, therefore, <laughs> being eternal, am given to all my children, which are named of him. Uh, she is only given to, we see in other passages within here that she is only given to Israel. Um, only Israel can have the Ruach. But if if the the Ruach HaKodesh is a male, uh, part of the Trinity or whatever you have it, that's some serious confusion there. If now the the dude, the Ruach, and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but is being referred to as a mother. That's, that's really confusing. Because um, we will never see, we don't see the son, Yahushua, being referred to as a daughter or a sister. And we don't see the father referred to as a woman as well. So, um, yeah, and that's one of the, the so it was Sirach 24 that was one of the really instrumental uh, chapters for me to help me understand that. Yeah, so let's, uh, you have the whole thing up here. So we see uh, verse 18, verse 19 is coming to me, all ye that be desirous of me, and I will fill you yourselves with my fruits. My fruit, the only. Yep. Spirit that bears fruit is wisdom. That's right. Yep, the, the Ruach HaKodesh, wisdom, fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit. For my memorial is sweeter than honey, and mine inheritance than the honeycomb. They that eat me shall yet be hungry, and they that drink me shall yet be thirsty. Yahushua says the same thing. Eat of me, drink of me, right? Yep. Uh, you'll never be thirsty again, never be hungry again. So we see the family here. The, the Ruach is saying the same thing. And he that, uh, but we're eating different things, right? We're eating honey or bread, uh, water or, uh, I don't know what you're drinking here. I don't know if it's water, wine. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, maybe we'll find that out. But uh, he that obeyeth me shall not be confounded, and they that work by me shall not do amiss. And these things are the book of the covenant of the Most High Elohim, even the law which Moshe commanded for a heritage unto the congregation of Yaakov. Fate not to be strong in Yahuwah, that he may confirm you. Cleave unto him, for Yahuwah Almighty is Elohim alone, and beside him there is no other Savior. Good passage. That entire book is amazing, guys. If you guys haven't read Sirach yet, it's such a good book. And it's in the Sefer, too. Um, it's it's like dead center in, in, in the Sefer. Yeah, I just dropped in Sirach 2415, talking about the... Uh... 
yields a pleasant smell like the best myrrh. And we just read that in in our reading about that smell coming forth from 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 um, what Asenath did with the honey. What was the other thing you want to address? It was oh, it was twenty eight fourteen. Says, and Asenath said to him, "No brother, no brother." You must not repay evil for evil to your neighbor, for the Lord will avenge this outrage. So here we have Esneth, uh reminding the brother to not do evil for evil, and and you know this is this is the whole you know the second commandment: uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And and we see this over and over that vengeance is the Lord, and how many times the brothers struggle with. Uh, of vengeance and acting uh, out on others. So I think it's somewhat mankind in that sense, but we are, we are told that we must walk in love, not in uh, strife or vengeance. So I just oh, want to- oh, the angel over repentance. Yeah, I want to talk about that too. Yeah, let's talk about that. So in First Enoch, and this is one of those passages, there are like two passages in Enoch where people flip out and they're like, it's like, no, this can't be true. And, and, and my Jesus is, you know, he's over repentance and nobody else. And this has to be fake. Well, oh, I just lost it. Here we go. So we see in first Enoch chapter 40, and I, this is a long passage. I don't feel the need to read the whole thing here. You guys can read it for yourself. Chapter 40 verses one through 10, but we see in verse 10 that we we see the the four angels, so we have uh, yeah. The, hit, hit, hit the bold stuff; it will be good. Okay, all right. So, uh, okay, let's just read this whole passage. Okay, First Enoch chapter forty, verse uh, one through nine, or one through ten. And after that, I saw thousands of thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. I saw a multitude beyond number and reckoning who stood before Yahuwah of. of Ruachs. And on the four sides of Yahuwah of Spirits, I saw four presences. Okay, so we've seen these four uh, presences in like Isaiah and, you know, the four angels around his throne. Different from those that sleep not. And I learned their names. For the angel that went with me made known to me their names and showed me all the hidden things. And I heard the voices of those four presences as they uttered praises before Yahuwah of glory. The first voice blesses Yahuwah of spirits forever and ever. And the second voice I heard blessing the elect one and the elect ones who hang upon Yahuwah of spirits. And the third voice I heard pray and intercede for those who dwell on the earth and supplicate in the name of Yahuwah of spirits. And I heard the fourth voice fending off the Satans and forbidding them to come before Yahuwah of spirits to accuse them who dwell on the earth. After that, I asked the angel of peace who went with me, who showed me everything that is hidden. Who are these four presences which I have seen and whose words I have heard and written down? And he said to me, the first is Michael, the merciful and long-suffering. And the second, who is set over all the diseases and all the wounds of the children of men, is Raphael. And the third, who is set over all powers, is Gabriel. And the fourth, so here's the key here. And the fourth, who is set over the repentance unto hope of those who inherit eternal life, is named Phanuel. And these are the four angels of Yahuwah, of spirits, and the four voices I heard in those days. So, um, and Phanuel means, the note here, Phanuel means the face of Elohim. So 
I don't know if you're thinking, Rob, that this is maybe the same angel who was uh, over a zenith who came, who is over repentance or penitence. I don't know. But here's another reference from The Shepherd of Hermes, chapter 55, which is a very interesting book. I haven't read the whole thing. Uh, I've read probably half of it. I haven't got through the whole thing. It is very interesting. It's a great book to read. And it says, uh, and fear not the devil, for there is no power in him against you, for I will be with you, I, the angel of repentance, who have the mastery over him. Hmm, so this must be Fanuel again. Mm-hmm. The devil hath, hath fear alone, but his fear hath no force. But I, the angel of repentance, say unto you, fear not the devil, for I was sent, saith he, to be with you, who repent with you your whole heart, and to strengthen you in faith. So that's the, the two passages on the angel over repentance. Yeah, and that angel's declaring to repent with your whole heart and to your strength and to strengthen you in the faith. So I, I just think that it's so, I mean, as we read these things, it just keeps coming back to repentance and, and you know, wiping away that, I mean, wiping away these sins, you can't wipe these sins away unless you act on it. And that's by repenting them, turning away from them, you know, casting them off, um, declaring them and showing the, the, the true sorrow and, and desire to walk, uh, holy and set apart. And I think part of that is some of these, you won't know, but when they're shown to you, that you have that repented heart to be able to um, accept correction, to recognize your mistake. Yeah, because I, I will say this in, in experience and I and and observing others is that it, the ch- the biggest challenge everybody has is pride. Uh, they they just can't self-examine. Um, it's very either difficult or their their pride is is in such a way they can't. And th- that's not a place anyone wants to be. Well, that's why I look so forward when we're sitting, let's say, at the table with Yahusha, and all will be revealed, and we can go, all right, now here's the real story, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it says the meek will inherit the earth. The meek. Hold on, the why humble. is that? Meek isn't humble. Well, I said and the humble. Well, oh. me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meek is is controlled strength. So any yes. any one of us can, you know, lash out or bear the strength that we have, but we we control it and keep it subsided. Yeah, well, I mean, my research on on meek has been specifically when Yahushua says that has been that it's. Yeah, it's 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 like a warhorse. Yeah. When you send it into battle, it's like it's like it just listens to its master. It just like does the does what it does. But then it's when it's not in war, it's just like really, it can be gentle. It, it's just like a you know just friendly and stuff like that. Um, and I've heard it similarly said that it's essentially like a guy who is trained in battle, highly proficient, he knows what he's doing, but he doesn't just like do unnecessarily unnecessary violence like if he's driven to it he he will respond but if if he can take any measure to not use his skill then he will do that essentially yep that seems yeah, to he... go back to what 
sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I, that seems to go back to what Asenath was saying, you know, after um, the other men had come up and she said, you know, we need to have some restraint here. Don't, don't dish on evil for evil. Yep. No. It reminded me of, um, you know, Yehoshua crying out, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah, and he and like he even said, I could call down legions of angels, and he didn't. You know, that is really interesting um, observation you had, Katie, and I didn't even think of that. That would that be meekness? Well, your- I would. I was just thinking of Asenath playing the role of of the only daughter of penitence there, because Joseph is mysteriously absent from that whole scene. Like Levi, Levi has this prophecy. This is about to go down. They go get their brothers. They get the swords. They go to war to defend Aseneth. And she's the only one that comes to the defense of, of Gad and Dan. She's the only one that that's be like, no, don't harm him. You know, I, I don't know if that's where you were going, but it, it's, it it's, it, 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 it's kind of interesting to see if that's the role of the, of the doubling in heaven of the so-called penitents of, you know, almost, almost, a, a because we know that the Messiah, um, the role is to be an advocate on our behalf, right. To speak to the father on our behalf. That's what Enoch did with, um, uh, with, the, with the, the watchers spoken on our behalf, all that kind of stuff. But she seems to be doing the same thing. I didn't really even pick up on that. So that was really good. When we pose a theory that Mike and I were talking about, and and it's Uh-oh. just <laughs> it's just a theory, and don't flip flip out here. But um, uh, we know that Yahusha covers uh, sin, and there's that discussion that. The, the sin, the intentional sin is not. And I, if, if that's the case, I wonder if penitence is the one who can cover intentional sin due to her position. Just a thought. Hmm. Well, that would be, that would really be a new area to dig into, to yeah. try to support that with scripture, because I know that I've brought this up in the past in this group that it came to my realization and and this this last year this last Torah cycle and I was like I don't know what to do with this because we have all these ideas you know you talk to any Christian about the sacrifices and they're like that's so I'm so glad that's done away with and that's all so pagan and you know and you know what can you what are you going to do now Noel if you keep Torah because you got to sacrifice for your sins and all this kind of stuff and it's like well when you realize that two-thirds, uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong on this, but two in the book of Leviticus, all the sacrifices that are presented, two-thirds of them are just Thanksgiving off, uh, uh, offerings. They're not even sin offerings. They're basically like, I love Yahuwah so much that I just want to sacrifice this uh, bowl uh, to feed the Levite priest and to sit down and dine with Yahuwah. Just because I love him so much, it has nothing to do with my sin. And then uh, the other third is just for unknown sins, unconscious sins. Well, you think about this, there is nowhere in in Torah that I have found where there is a sacrifice for our known sins. It's not. Yep. Yep, yep, and, yep. And people don't realize this. They don't think about this and it's like, "Wait a second. What's what's going on?" 
Um, sin not. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely don't sin. But yeah, it's like, you know, and it's interesting that when you see in Torah, these people do these outright rebellion. You know, there's the golden calf, but then there's uh, there's Korah's rebellion and there's others. He just, he's like, boom, you're dead. Like, that, I'm not even, there's no forgiveness for that. You're dead. Boom. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that, you know, there's, I, I'm not judging people that there's these sins that they committed that um, is unforgivable. And we've all done terrible things, I'm sure, in this room. And for those listening, um, and we hopefully have the fear of the Most High and have come to repentance. But that, Robbie, that's that's a really interesting thought. And it would be something I'd love to see more of in Scripture if it can be. Well, um, yeah, my, my thought is as we dig through the Scriptures on repentance, we see the power of it. I mean, it, it just it changes Yah's heart. We we see it. Moses does it multiple times. We see we see all these actions of the our patriarchs doing this, and it moves Yah, and it changes the course because of their sincere heart. I mean, David is a great example. I mean, all, you know, what 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 they do. And so we see that this has power by the humility and just setting it out and putting it forth in front and laying it at his feet. So if if we're doing that, and if, if this is true, or if this has uh, any, you know, uh, credence on Pentinence and her role, and I'm thinking, hey, this this may very well be a, a possible angle on that. Huh. Just a thought, but yeah, it's, a, it, it's just a thought, but also a very good thought. Yeah, yeah, we were pretty excited when we thought about that. We're like, hey, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> this is where we have to be careful for those listening to this that yeah, we are yeah. we are not right now creating a new denomination called the first church of the only begotten daughter we are we are not doing that uh we're not going that direction but we're just well, thinking yeah, out as loud true here. Seekers, yeah yeah you, you want to be able to talk and discuss things without getting upset without offending anyone with that it's 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 dialogue and it's all it's scripture based and when we're talking about some scriptures here and how it ties in does it does is it against it? Is it for it? Is it you know alongside it? Is it possible? You know those things. The, the good news is is that the people who are going to get really offended will not have made it this far. Usually, they're only going to make it about five minutes in and then send in the hate mail. So, yeah. And and like you said, it was a good point that you have. It's almost like you have to unlock certain doors to get further in and to be able to accept and see things and without that first key or without that first doorway you 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 won't even accept anything beyond that door it's it's almost like that oh yeah absolutely well that was all i wanted to share so i appreciate it yeah and i'm i'm winding down here i'm getting tired it's almost midnight does any uh, you guys can talk all night you could you know i can come on in the morning and sunrise and you guys still on here but um does anyone have anything else they wanted to share or thoughts on anything the birds and the bees and the 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 milk and the bread oh there's a lot that can be said about that (laughs) did you guys find it interesting this is fascinating. They're always fascinating. Next week, I was What's thinking. Next week. <laughs> n- 
Next week, I was thinking about doing another uh, book, uh, The Gospel of Nicodemus. I'm not sure how many people of you... I don't know if we can get through that in one night. That might be a little tricky if we're doing the uh, the Ruach in two weeks. I th- I'm going to check, and I think we can get through it, but I wanted to, to compare that with... Uh, this would be like a two-week study, because I want to compare it with uh, the questions of Barnabas, also known as the Gospel of Barnabas, and the letters of Pontius Pilate. The epistles of Pontius Pilate, um, I think some of those might be legit. And it's hard to tell, but they match up. I want to show where they match up perfectly with with the Gospel of Nicodemus. And the interesting thing about the Gospel of Nicodemus is that it's the only gospel that takes you down into Sheol. Yes. Once you go down into Sheol, you start and you see what happens where Yahusha goes down there to just, he's go, the reason he goes down there is just for Adam, for his friend, Adam. He wants to free Adam and bring him up to paradise. And once you see that, then you, you can start seeing all these other books out there that talk about the same exact events. Um, so I don't know. I'll think about it. I might push that off a couple weeks because it might be a two-week study, and I don't want to. Uh, so I'll, we'll either do that or something else. Well, I but, would love to love to hear that one again. I that I mean that's the one with Hades and Satan having a nice conversation, right? <laughs> well, there's that, but then you I think you also see them having that conversation in the Gospel of um, Barnabas. Bartholomew. Too. Yeah, Bartholomew. It, yeah. It's yeah, one of those, Barnabas or Bartholomew. One of the two. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love it. Okay, well, with that, I guess I'm going to sign out for the night. So, uh, love talking to you guys. Love that everyone shows up and um it's been fun tonight. Hopefully it was informative and exciting. It was exciting for me. I love that book. I'm in love with that book, Joseph and Asenath. And I didn't even know I didn't even know existed like till 3 months ago. So, Anyways, with that, I'm going to sign out, and shalom. I'll see you guys around. Shalom, all. Shalom, all. Good night. Have care, everyone. Praise you. Shalom. Praise you.